get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Guess what day it is? Hump day! Good morning, happy hump day, St. Louis at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's Character and Smallman. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And as you wake up this morning and open your post dispatch, you buy your newspaper and you open that baby up. And Michelle, you look at the National League standings, you look at the wild card race, and guess what you see? What do we see, Randy? You see your wild card St. Louis Cardinals. The Dodgers are in the wild card lead and right now as we speak, the St. Louis Cardinals who back on August 10th were eight and a half games behind San Diego in the wild card race the Cardinals at that point were 56 and 56 on August 10th with the Reds, Phillies, Braves, and Mets all between them and the Padres. Well, now the Cardinals have passed the Reds, the Phillies, the Mets, and the Padres, and they lead the wild card race as we sit here on September 15th. How exciting was that game last night? It was a lot of fun. It was the most fun I think a lot of people have had watching Cardinal baseball at any point during this season. And it's not just because it was a back and forth game and there was a lot of drama going into extra innings, but it was because just like the night before, you're getting contributions from all facets of this team. And that's something that has been lacking this season. Pitching would be good and then the offense wouldn't show up. The offense would be there and then you had pitching issues. It seems like things are rounding into form a little bit for the Cardinals at the right time, which is exactly what happens with the Cardinals down the stretch. We've seen this movie before. The Cardinals were well aware that it was Emily Butcher's birthday in a matter of hours. They knew. They knew. So they, they are taking care of Emily, whose birthday is today, with a victory. The starting pitchers were Marcus Stroman for the Mets and Jake Woodford for the Cardinals. And it was kind of a seesaw affair in the early going, and the Cardinals were able to actually tie the game after the Mets had scored two in the first six. Cardinals came back with a couple of runs in the fourth. It's a 2-2 game. Michael Conforto drives in a run in the bottom of the fifth, 3-2, but Tyler O'Neill in the top of the eighth hits a two-run homer, making it 4-3 Cardinals. Bottom of the ninth, Giovanni Gallegos on the mound trying to save it for the Redbirds. No such luck. Javi Baez with a home run to tie the game. The guy that was doing the thumbs down to the fans a week ago, Michelle, was out of the dugout for a curtain call after last night's home run. And that sent the game to extra innings, tied at four. Cardinals uh, not able to do much. They had the runner on at second. Nolan Arnato takes a walk, but Yachty hits into a double play. And we are tied at 4-4 as we go to the bottom of the 10th inning. Once again, the runner on base moves to third as the Mets bring Francisco Lindor to the plate. The 1-0 pitch. Lindor, ground ball. Out there, the throw to the plate. They got a rundown. The tag applied. It's a double play. Goldie stepped on the bag. Two Yachty, two third. It's a double play. And let's go to the 11th. That's why you pay all those guys for all those gold gloves. <laughs> That's Derek, right. Derek Gould noted in the game story this morning, 20 gold gloves involved in that play. Wow. 
Yeah, think about the defensive prowess and the baseball awareness that exists between Paul Goldschmidt, Yadier Molina, and Nolan Arenado. And that was one of the best defensive plays you'll see in a long time. And when that happened, you just kind of felt it. Or at least I did watching the game. I'm like, they're going to win this game. They're going to win. So we go to the 11th, and you've got... Molina on second base as the the ghost runner, as it were. Uh, Rondon with a base hit to bring Edmundo Sosa to the plate. The 2-0 pitch to Edmundo Sosa. Sosa, base hit into left. Yachty will score. And the Cardinals have a 5-4 lead here in the 11th. And then two batters later, Andrew Kisner. The 1-0 pitch. Kisner up the middle. Base hit. One run is in. to the bottom of the 11th, but it had to be exciting, didn't it? Pete Alonzo with an RBI double. Alonzo scores on an error, and the Cardinals need KK to close it out. Winning run at first, and the 3-2 is a ground ball. Tommy Edmond has it. The Cardinals win it. In a year that at times has been defined by heartbreak and late-inning losses for the Cardinals. Not tonight. 7-6 to six the final in 11. And on September 14th, your St. Louis Cardinals have the second wild card spot in the National League. What a game. Danny Mac the call on Bally Sports. The Reds lost to the Pirates 6-5. to five. The Phillies lost to the Cubs 6-3. to three. By the way, Patrick Wisdom, another home run for Chicago. The Padres lost to the Giants 6-1. to one, And there are the Cardinals leading the wild card race by a half game. Should we send a fruit basket or maybe an edible arrangement to the Padres, the Reds, the Phillies, the Mets? No, they're trying. <laughs> but I appreciate the <laughs> fact that they haven't been... Getting it done because, yes, it was an amazing win from the Cardinals last night. I'm not taking anything away from that game before as well. But if these other teams weren't completely staggering down the stretch, would the Cardinals even be in this position? I I want to thank the other teams for allowing the Cardinals to be able to put themselves in this position. So, Michelle, 19 games left. You've got today, tonight with the Mets, and then you've got three against the Padres. So that leaves you 16 left after that series, right? 16, seven against the Cubs, six against the Brewers, and then three, I'm leaving somebody out here. No, the three against the Padres. So that'll do it. So what's your confidence level? This might be recency bias coming uh-huh. off coming off the past two nights, but it's high, Randy. It's much higher than it was before. And it's not be- just because, like we mentioned, it seems like these other teams are just... They're not throwing in the towel by any means, but it just feels like a lot of these other teams are incapable of getting it done. I have no confidence in the Padres. I don't have any confidence in the Reds or the Phillies either. And it does feel like that card, the Cardinals, are, we're feeling that little something with this team. And you knew that down the stretch in September, it's a different animal that Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, they know how to show up in September. Mm-hmm. You knew that Goldie and Nolan Arenado, veteran players who were supposed to be the best players on your team, they're supposed to show up. But in this game last night and the night before, it's Sosa in late innings that comes up with a big play. It's Kisner. It's KK. How about Tyler O'Neill and his contributions here lately? That's why I think I feel comfortable saying that I'm, I'll put my money on the Cardinals because they're getting contributions, it seems, from everyone. These are team wins. I really thought that Philadelphia, under Joe Girardi, 
And I know they aren't great, but their schedule was so weak. I thought the Phillies would be the team that would rise to the occasion. I'm not surprised by San Diego. They're having to play the Giants. They had to play the Dodgers earlier. And the Padres are diminished. They're really compromised by injury. I'm not surprised by the Reds. We see the Reds enough. They're flawed. They're really flawed. The one that surprises me is the Phillies. And the other one that surprises me, honestly, is the Cardinals, because I didn't think that they had the starting pitching to be able to pull this off. They've won four in a row now. They've won five out of six. And I didn't think that there was a scenario in which they could win five out of six with their starting pitching. I didn't either, but I I think this is where we tip our cap to John Mosellock and Michael Gersh and the Cardinals front office because the hat move, the Lester move, we, we kind of shrugged at it mm-hmm. at the time, but those guys have come in and they've been important pieces to put the, the Cardinals in this race. And then last night, not only do you get the good start, not a good, great start, but enough from Jake Woodford. He allows two runs in four innings. Daniel Ponce de Leon, and he, today might be the day for Ponce. You don't get yelled at by Yachty in the dugout and then try to confront him. You just take it. If you're a young pitcher, especially a young bad pitcher, Oof. you just take it. You don't confront Yachty or Molina. So today, whenever they bring Dakota Hudson back will be the day for Daniel Ponce de Leon, I would imagine. I think everyone watching that game last night was like, no, Ponce, what are you doing, are man? Are you looking at his neck? What? What are you thinking? I don't really... We don't know the circumstances. We don't know the the context behind what happened in the dugout there. And as they said on the broadcast last night, I think Dan said it best. These guys are families. Te- mm-hmm. you, you know, their brothers' tensions are running high. Everybody has that intensity. They want to win these games. So we don't really know how big of a blow up it was or what contributed to it. But if I'm in that position and Yadier Molina is yelling at me, I'm just saying, yes, sir. Yeah, you, you walk you away. Want. You say, yeah, you're, you're yep. correct, sir. Yep, whatever you want, And Yachty. if you're Yadier, you chase him down and you grab him by the scruff and you punch him in the face and say, why are you walking the bases loaded at this time of year? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but then Cody Whitley gave the Cardinals one and two-thirds uh, scoreless innings. He was fantastic. And then Cabrera comes on and then Garcia comes on, does his thing. Gallegos allows the home run to Baez, but then Reyes and then KK finishing it out with a scoreless inning and the Cardinals do win the game by a score of 7-6. to six. Yesterday, we posed the question to the BLIS, the best listeners in sports, do you want the Cardinals to make the playoffs? Mm-hmm. And there was a huge chunk of our audience, I'd say almost half, that doesn't want this team to make the playoffs because they don't want a mediocre team to be rewarded. I'm, these are their words. They don't want the front office to feel like they get a gold star for this season and maybe not be as aggressive as they and, and hope that they are or they intend to be going into next season spending money. I wonder how those people feel after watching that game last night. Once you feel that excitement again mm-hmm. and you know that the weather's starting to turn and we get that familiar feeling of, oh, yeah, this is Cardinals baseball. We're getting towards Cardinals postseason baseball. October, we know what what magic can happen in October. How can you not love the way you feel waking up this morning after watching that game, knowing the Cardinals are in possession of a playoff spot? And on the flip side, you're a Phillies fan or a Reds fan, and you turn into the extra innings package, and you say, okay, we're, we're, we're good. Edmundo Sosa, he's not going to do anything. Andrew <laughs> Kisner, he's in 184. Andrew Kisner's not going to get a hit to beat the Mets. 
there's the devil magic we're talking about. A hundred percent. It's it's there. Yeah. It exists. And Mike Petriello had a great tweet mm-hmm. last night, Randy, from MLB Network or MLB.com. He said the Cardinals are going back. Excuse me. The Cardinals are going to back their way into the National League wild card and knock out the Dodgers just because they're the Cardinals and they can. I've never been more sure of anything in my entire <laughs> life. And that's how the rest of baseball, I think, feels. Yeah. Watching the Cardinals turn it on a little bit down the stretch, have everything else fall apart around them. A team that no one expected to get into the playoffs, somehow backing their way into this position. And that would be so St. Louis Cardinals yes, for would. them to get into yeah. this position and take down the Dodgers. Because they can. So a good win for the Cardinals. And we got a good football win yesterday, too, Michelle. As you know, the city of St. Louis, the county of St. Louis, and the RSA have their suit against the NFL. And in a civil case, the defendant can ask for what's called a summary judgment and say there isn't enough evidence for the plaintiff to really have this suit go forward against us. And about a month ago, the NFL went to Judge Christopher McGraw in the Missouri court here in St. Louis and asked for summary judgment on the different counts that St. Louis has alleged breach of contract, unjust enrichment and tort claims arising from the Rams relocation from St. Louis to Los Angeles. They asked for summary judgment for each of those three. Yesterday, Judge McGraw looked at the legal aspects of this and said, no, no, no. And in a route, did not issue any summary judgment in favor of the NFL. And so the suit will go forward under all counts in January here in St. Louis. Is the NFL, are the NFL owners, are they on the panic bus yet in regards to this lawsuit? Because the way that I'm watching this unfold, I can't imagine that they're not. I tweeted that if I, first of all, I don't think that any owner except for Stan Kroenke is really keeping an eye on this. I really don't. Because Even though that they know that there's billions of dollars yeah. at stake that might have to come out of their pocket. I'll bet you if you go to all 32 owners, Maybe two or three would know about what happened yesterday in court. That's surprising because these owners care about money first and foremost. So I would imagine anything that could negatively impact them from a financial standpoint, they'd be keeping tabs on it. You would think so, but they weren't even keeping tabs on the relocation of the Rams. They didn't know until they walked into that room in 2016, really, what was going on. They, They don't pay attention. So my guess is that they don't really know, but... If I'm a league attorney, I'm going to Roger Goodell. I'm going to the owners that I represent, specifically Stan Kroenke and Jerry Jones, and say, guys, we've got a problem here. As was said in Runaway Jury by the character played by Dustin Hoffman, I've kind of lost my footing in this trial. And if I were them, I would say we need to put together a compelling a settlement case. We need to make an offer. A large, compelling settlement case. Not that St. Louis would take it, but right now those, I would think, league attorneys have to feel like there's a pretty good chance they're going to lose this thing. Because from every legal angle they've lost, and they still haven't even gotten to the St. Louis jury yet. Yeah, and if you're St. Louis, is that something you consider? Because I guess it depends on what is presented to them Mm -hmm. or what the number is, what the sum is that the NFL is willing to give to St. Louis, but even by offering to settle, aren't they conceding a loss? 
But I, I can understand all of the work that went into this from the St. Louis side of things, from a legal standpoint, and how important it is to have a, a court of law say the NFL was wrong. And that's going to be the key. Either the NFL, in any settlement that would be accepted by the city, the NFL is going to have to admit run wrongdoing and change their rules so that this, this never happens to another city ever again. Oof. That number could be high, but if I'm St. Louis, I don't know if I'm willing to settle. We're looking at about four bill. Whew. Not four bills, not four dollars, four billion dollars. Well, the NFL won't come in with that number. They'll, no, they won't. They'll not come for in a settlement. Low. But yeah. that's when we get to, if this gets to trial and the request is out there, that will be roughly the number that St. Louis will be due just based on what they have filed in the lawsuit. And the NFL will likely appeal. Right. Yeah, they will. Definitely. But they can't appeal to a higher court because didn't the Supreme Court already say we're not interested in this? They said that they were not. The U.S. Supreme Court said they weren't interested in Stan Kroenke's desire to have it handled by arbitration. Okay. okay. So they'll go to the Missouri Court of Appeals. They'll go to the Missouri Supreme Court and lose there. And then they'll (laughs) appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court will say, we don't know. We aren't going to listen to this because every legal T and every legal every T is crossed, I is dotted. You win on appeal because of legal missteps by the court, and that's not happening here. So they're going to file appeals, but they're going to be frivolous appeals. So the, all they're doing is sending this game into overtime in what is an inevitable loss. So early take it or leave it. It seems like St. Louis has the greatest show on turf of legal team of of, of yeah. lawyers here because it seems like they're going into these courtrooms and just like the greatest show on turf, it's pure dominance every time. They've got really talented attorneys and this is the greatest show on turf against the 2008 Detroit Lions. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah, yikes. it's not great with Joe Barry at the helm of the defense. Ooh. Yeah. Not great for them, for the NFL, but it's great for St. Louis. Yes, it is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we're off and running. Coming up, it's Ask Uncle Randy Day, and you need to get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Whatever questions you might have, you can ask me anything, because I'm Uncle Randy. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I've been around, you know. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Before we get going, Michelle, I was just reminded of something when I was looking at the ESPN bottom line and saw that the Tennessee Titans have placed wide receiver Amani Hooker, Amani Hooker on the injured reserve list. And back in the early days of Monday Night Football, the crew was Howard Cosell, Dandy Don Meredith, and Frank Gifford. And the Cleveland Browns had a wide receiver named Fair Hooker. Oh. And... Don Meredith said, fair hooker, no such thing. (laughs) What a line. (laughs) One of the all-time great lines. (laughs) Did everyone lose it on the broadcast? Yeah, they did. Oh, that is so funny. (laughs) It was great. Yeah, how do you keep your composure during that one? That's hilarious. (laughs) So if you have any life questions, maybe you have a, a question about how to properly propose to your betrothed, maybe uh, or, or you, the 
person that you plan to betroth, at least. Maybe uh, you've got in-law issues. Maybe you just want to know uh, what you should do in a job situation. This is why Uncle Randy is here, and this is why you need to text in 65780. Michelle has your questions for Randy. The only bad thing about this segment is that we get so many great questions, and we have so little time. So let's jump right into it. it. From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, when one of your sports teams is on a roll and they're winning, is there a particular superstition that you do before the game that you think or believe helps with them winning? Depends on the team. Absolutely, that's the case. During the Blues run in 2019, I wore my Blues tennis shoes every night. And the old Bud Light commercial is completely appropriate. It's only weird if it doesn't work. So whatever your superstition is that's working, you stick with that. And yeah, there are things that I do every single time. Like during the radio show on turf, I had to sit in my exact seat at home games. During the NFC Championship game, Cardinals or the Rams are down six to five. And I, because we brought the whole family, everybody was into it, obviously. And I'm sitting in the auxiliary press box which is in the end zone, in the north end zone. And they're down 6-5 to five in the fourth quarter. And I said, this is bad. I got to get to my seat. So <laughs> I go up to uh, section 414, row HH, and my seat was number 9. Walk my way in there, get Patrick up on my lap. And no sooner did I sit down into my seat than Dre Bly picks off a Sean King pass. And then moments later, Warner, Prohl, touchdown, on the way to the Super Bowl. And that only happened because I had the foresight to get back to my seat. You're welcome, St. Louis. Yes, you are. You actually have a lot of superstitions. I do. Blue shoes. We we know about the red jeans. Yep. Blue Snuggie at home. The blue Snuggie at home. Completely yep. works. And for the texter, if you have something, maybe, I don't know if they are asking necessarily if what they're doing they should continue to do or if they're looking for something to adopt. And if it's in particular with the Cardinals, the red jeans work. They oh, work. No doubt about it. Yeah. And you can find red jeans on Amazon. No problem at all. But the, the trick with the red jeans is that you have to wear them at the stadium. Yes. At a home playoff game. Right. They are undefeated at a home playoff game. Right. You don't wear them for road playoff games because we just don't know how that works. No. And. Well, yeah, I've never done it, so I don't know if it would work, and I don't want to test the theory. Now, here's one thing that I do recommend you avoid, because this happened to me during Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, is if you have your leg bent in a particular position, don't keep your leg in said position for a couple of hours, because when you try to move it, your leg and or your foot will fall asleep. It happened to me, and it was worth it. We won the Stanley Cup, but... It does get a little bit uncomfortable. Yes, but it's worth it. Oh, totally. As you said, it's worth it. So from the 314, this one's really interesting, Randy. Dear Uncle Randy and Auntie Michelle, your fellow listener from St. Charles living in Chicago, I have a really hard time reading body language. How can you tell that your date wants to be kissed during or after a date? I would say that uh, afterwards... She'll give you the opportunity to lean in. And Michelle, you can uh, weigh weigh in here because you know the female side of this certainly better than I do. But you will know there there are, and if it's a bummer that you have the body language read things. Mm -hmm. But if she's not turning away, if she's looking right at you, I would say you lean in and see what happens. Yes, it is tough that you can't read body language because normally I'd say read the room. Mm-hmm. You can you can t- sense it. But if you can't read body language, this is a pretty fail-safe issue 
or a fail-safe approach to this, I should say. If you walk her to her car or you walk her home and she stands there afterwards Mm -hmm. and is talking to you and doesn't immediately say, okay, thanks, bye, or give you a hug, goodbye, a friendly hug, if she's standing there, she's waiting for it. Okay, good. I like it. And obviously every situation is different. Um, Try to read the room as much as you can. Be respectful. But if if she's lingering around, she's waiting for you to seal the deal. So plant one on her. Okay, good. Thanks. Good good luck with that. Yeah. Okay, from the 618, Dear Uncle Randy, I'm getting grief over teaching my boy to be Scott Rowland during his home run trot instead of allowing him to do bat flips and trash talk. I'm getting told I'm not allowing him to have enough fun. Give me guidance, old wise one. What you are doing is absolutely 100% correct. What you're teaching your youngster is respect, respect for the other team, respect for sports, and respect for the game. There's nothing wrong when you hit a home run with putting your head down and circling the bases. Tyler O'Neill has the fastest home run trot in all of baseball. There is, you will never get grief as a baseball player from, from anybody for putting your head down and circling the bases. Will you get grief for if you're Giancarlo Stanton standing between second and third base and yapping at Francisco Lindor? Yes. If you're Francisco Lindor and you're faking a whistle to Giancarlo Stanton left field, will you get some grief and some publicity for it? Yes. If you're Tatis, if you do your little uh, sidestep before you get to third base. Yeah, there are going to be some people that say this. Tony LaRusso would say it's disrespectful to the game. Hmm. Now, it's funny, but here's the thing. You will never be accused of disrespect if you do what Scott Rowland did. You know, I'm a fan of the bat flips and of the celebrations. Mm -hmm. But if that's not something that you want to encourage, at least right now, you can do the the trot around the bases and then do a celebration when you're in the dugout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With with your teammates or with your son's teammates. Right. And you can have a, a fun celebration. The Cardinals have had those over the years with the conga line and stuff like that. But I think. In 10 years, we're going to be seeing all sorts of celebrations. Oh, yeah. We already do. Yeah, but I think it's, it's we're not even going to be having this conversation in no, 10 there, years. No, there will probably not be any respect for the game at all. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, sports radio is my dream. I'm halfway through college and I want to change to broadcasting for my major, but I don't know if it's worth it. In 2021, are there enough opportunities available in sports radio to make this change worth it? That's a good question. And I would say if you know what you're talking about, if you're knowledgeable and if you switch your major to get into radio broadcasting, yes, there are openings. Now, do you have to start at an entry level? You do. Michelle Smallman started as a producer. Brandon Kylie started as a producer. Anthony Stalter started as a producer. Randy Carricker started as a producer. So you have to work your way up. You don't have to go to a small market anymore. That was a myth back in the day that you had to go to a small market and start there. You can start in a medium to large market as a producer and work your way up. But in terms of quality, knowledgeable people, We're always looking for quality, knowledgeable people here at Mm -hmm. 101 ESPN. We don't have enough quality, knowledgeable people to do everything that needs to be done at this station. So, yes, there are openings, and not just here, but whether you are looking to Chicago, whether you're looking to a college town, 
pretty much every town now has a sports radio station. So I would encourage you, yes, if that is your passion and you know what you're talking about, to because you're in switch to that major, find out about editing and things like that, and move forward. Michelle, you were more recently <laughs> in that boat that I'm talking about than I was. Well, two, two suggestions for me. I went to Illinois, and I wanted to be pre-med. I wanted to be a dermatologist, and I changed my major after my freshman year. And what you have to do is make sure, especially right now, it was different when I was in college, but especially right now, don't put your blinders up to just sports radio. If you're changing your major, learn how to shoot and edit film. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you know how to write. Make sure you know about podcasting. Make sure that you're as proficient as you possibly can be in social media because that is the future of all of this. Make sure that not only are you changing your major because sports radio is what you hope to eventually get into, but that you're diversifying your skill set because everything is convergence media now. So if you want to do it, make sure that you learn as much as you possibly can. And then number two, I always, when I speak to, to colleges or people ask me for advice, I think this happens in a lot of careers, but especially sports, especially sports media. You're not going to have a life for a long time. If this is something that you want, you are going to have to work long hours. You're going to have to work weekends. You are going to have to dedicate your life to this for a long time. I gave a decade of my life to this career to get to this position. And even... This weekend, Randy and I on a Saturday, we're going out to do an interview on Saturday. After that, I'm going to the ballpark. I have something Friday night that I need to do for work. Your life is not going to be normal. And if that's something that you crave, a lot of people want stability and consistency, then know right up front that this is not going to be for you. My wife and daughter were complaining just last night that every vacation we take is a sports vacation. (laughs) I, I tell people that, and I think a lot of people get into this and they're like, oh my gosh, this is my entire life. I'm like, yes, you need to know that up front. But your light, your your entire life as your career is really fun. It's yeah. great. It's it's far better than a lot of other careers. So just know that you need to make sure to learn as much as you can and know that for a long time, you're going to really have to be dedicated to yep. this. We thank you for your texts to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. That's Ask Uncle Randy. Coming up next, some NFL news and notes on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Tuesday is the traditional day off for NFL teams, but that doesn't mean we don't have news, and it's time for NFL News and Notes with Carriker and Smallman. First up, Randy, it was a very exciting week one in the NFL. A lot of interesting matchups, a lot of great games, and the ratings reflected that. The NFL's opening week ratings averaged 17.4 million, up 7% from 2020. This kickoff weekend for the NFL ended up having the second highest TV ratings for week one over the past five seasons. The six 16 games averaged 17.4 million viewers on TV and digital properties. Michelle, how much of that do you think is attributable to, for example, FanDuel Sportsbook? So many more people gambling legally and sticking with a game through the end. Yes, some of the games were great, but like the the afternoon games, Cleveland and Kansas City wasn't great. And the blowout that you had with New Orleans and Green Bay on the two national games, I wonder if people stuck with games because they had money on it that they might not have before. That is a great 
point. I also wonder if with fans back in the stands and life being a little bit more normal, certainly than it was at this Mm -hmm. time last year, if that's a reason why people were locked in as well, because you know, at this time last year, I think a lot of people were, were still getting used to their new normal and were wondering what it might be like to watch a game without fans in the stands, depending on where you were. So I, I wonder if that has something to do with it, too. I would think so. They're up 7% year over last year. The Thursday opener ranked as NBC's most watched kickoff game since 2015. NBC averaged 22.8 million viewers for its Thursday and Sunday games and Monday Night Football on ABC. ESPN, I think because it was on ABC, was up 59% over last year's doubleheader. 59? Yeah. That's incredible. So, good job by them. They rule the sports world. They certainly they do. They certainly do. Well, one of those games that a lot of people were locked into just because of the shocking manner of it was the Packers absolute, getting absolutely stomped by the Saints 38-3 to in their season opener. Aaron Rodgers did not have a great day. Bummer for us because he's our quarterback yeah. in Adam Wainwright's fantasy league. But he had two interceptions in that game, just not an Aaron Rodgers-type performance coming out of him. And he was on with Pat McAfee, and he's always very open with Pat McAfee and and uh, give some some pretty surprisingly transparent answers, at least for somebody that's pretty buttoned up normally. And he says that the first of those two interceptions, there's a pretty good reason why he ended up throwing that. I don't like to make a lot of excuses for interceptions. You know, there's some ones, there's some, you know, ones you wish you had back. There's some ones that really aren't your fault. That one was entirely due to the double nut shot I took. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will go back and watch it. But I stepped up in the pocket. I was going to throw across my body to Devontae. He was going to shallow cross. And, you know, it's a ball I've thrown in practice before. I don't feel bad about that throw. And right before I'm throwing it, I took a left kind of clothesline that, you know, A.J. Hawk or Brady Papang a clothesline. And somebody on the right, you know, with a right kind of cross, uh, double nut shot that uh, – you know, I guess I got to overcome that and throw a better ball. <laughs> that was that was a painful one. I, I do. Uh, they got their money's worth on that one. I think guys totally get that. I, I, I forgive the interception now. I was going to defer to you on yeah. this one. Is that not something that you can overcome and be able to? No, no. You're gonna throw. You're gonna throw an interception. That's inevitable when that happens. Ouch. Really? Oh yeah. Ouch. But you would think that Aaron Rodgers would. He's been in worse pain than that. You, you think, huh? Um, I'm not thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm saying he's been tackled a lot. He's, he's dealt with a lot. Uh, give me the tackle. Okay. Well, anyway, so I wonder if there might be an asterisk on the stat line yeah, for, that, yeah. for that interception. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's uh, the asterisk DNS. Yeah. <laughs> DNS. It took yeah. me a second. Yeah. This is probably what Aaron Rodgers sounded like when that happened. Yeah, yep. That's it him is. at the end. That ugh. Well, uh, Randy, a lot of talk has been surrounding Eric Bieniemy for a long time. People wondering why he hasn't gotten an opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL. A lot of his players and people he's worked with vouching for him, saying he would be an incredible head coach. But Adam Schefter of ESPN had an interesting report that Eric Bieniemy has told confidants in the past that USC is one of the only college job got college jobs that might interest him and that league sources expect Eric Bieniemy to emerge as a candidate for that job. Now, I don't know if this is something that would really 
entice him enough to want to leave that offensive coordinator position with the Chiefs. But with that USC job open and them desperately needing to hire a name, I wonder if Eric Bieniemy is someone that they turn to. I don't think they can hire somebody who has not been a head coach yet. And I know it's unfortunate for Eric Bieniemy, but in the specific situation that USC is in, following Kiffin, Sarkeesian, Helton, I don't think that they can go the route of an, a guy who hasn't been a successful college head coach before. I, I think they absolutely must get somebody that at some level, whether it's Luke Fickle or whether it's Urban Meyer, who has succeeded at the college level before and, and had to go out and recruit and run a staff and run a program. That's exactly what I was going to say. I know that Eric Bianmi is probably a great leader of men and he can probably implement uh, creativity from an offensive standpoint. There's a lot there that is probably appealing to a program like USC, but I w- I'm with you. I would not want to roll the dice on somebody who hasn't been through the grind of recruiting before. And I look at somebody like Lovey Smith, who went mm-hmm. to Illinois, and it's a completely different animal going from the NFL and having your, your job there and to the college ranks where you have to recruit and you have to be available in so many different ways. And again, he sources said that he might be interested in it. But if I'm USC, even though he's an attractive candidate, I'm going with someone that I know can recruit the talent, especially in California. I'm with you. That uh, Those are NFL News and Notes on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it next on Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle is here. Emily is here, and we have take it or leave it. And the Cardinals, Michelle, as we know, in the lead in the second wild card hunt right now. If the Cardinals would win the wild card at the end of the season, they would have to beat the Dodgers as we speak right now in the wild card game. But the Dodgers are only two and a half behind the Giants. Take it or leave it. You would rather take your chances on having to beat the Dodgers once rather than three times in a best of five series. I'm going to take that. I am too. Give me give me once and then give me the the Giants in the next round in the NLDS rather than the Giants in game one and then having to beat the Dodgers three out of five. Yeah. Adam Wainwright gets the ball. We got one shot at it versus yep. the Dodgers. I, I would much prefer that. I'm that way too. Uh, Randy, I saw this report about Jim Harbaugh and about Michigan. So Michigan has, or excuse me, Jim Harbaugh has renamed Michigan's physical nine-on-seven drill the, quote, beat Ohio drill. Their offensive lineman Trevor Keegan said that Michigan is using smelling salts and loud music to get amped up for the drill. Now, earlier this season, Jim Harbaugh said that they're going to do it in regards to beating Ohio State or die trying and their signage all over the weight room in Michigan that says what are you doing to beat Ohio State today? They play these two teams, Ohio State and Michigan. I'm pulling it up right now. Saturday, November 27th. Take it or leave it. Ohio State wins that game. I'm going to take that Ohio State wins that game. And by the way, around the Ohio State facility, it says, what are you doing to win a national championship today? So that's a little different. A little different. 
Yeah. But I, I just keep reading these things about Jim Harbaugh, and I appreciate him going all in. But if you're going to name a drill the Beat Ohio drill mm-hmm. and put that much into it, and then go in there and lose that game, your Doesn't, rivalry game, one that you desperately need to win, that's not a good luck. In the business, that's what we call bad optics, Michelle. <laughs> bad optics, <laughs> yes. But I, I kind of hope that Jim Harbaugh does pull it off this year. I do, too. Because he's due. And I'm really surprised that he hasn't been able to, because especially with Urban Meyer and taking nothing away from the physicality of Ohio State and the way that they play. But I thought that when he got to Michigan, it was kind of going to kind of be like the 49ers where they just out everybody and they haven't come close to doing that at Michigan. And now they run a spread. All right. Your tech 65780. Emily, the birthday girl. What do you got for us? From the 314, take it or leave it. The Cardinals have two players finish with 30 plus home runs this season. I didn't think Tylo was going to be able to pull it off. Now we've got uh, 17 left, and he's got 26 home runs. I think Broniel gets there. I think so, too. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm going to take it. So who's the other one? Arenado. Arenado, yeah, of he's course. He's already there. From the, let me make sure this, from the 385, take it or leave it, the Mariners and their postseason drought as the second AL wild card. Ooh, that'd be fun. You and know I, what? I'm just going to take that for fun. Michelle, have you seen the AL wildcard this morning? I have not. The AL wildcard is a three-way tie between the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Red Sox with the Mariners three games back. Wow. It is really wild in baseball right now. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And by the way, Oakland is still in the hunt. They're only, they're only three and a half back in the American League. And in the National League, you have the Dodgers who have pulled away. But Cards, Reds... Phillies and Mets all separated by four games. Four, uh, yeah, four games. I don't know if there's a team in baseball that I hear about less than the Seattle Mariners. No, there isn't. Location and losing while not making the playoffs will do that to you. They are the most anonymous team in baseball. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And they have some pretty nice players, too. And they've, heck, look what happened with. Uh, King Felix. King Felix did what he did almost in invisibility. From the 636, it's National Thank You Day. Thanks for hosting a great morning show, signed the city of St. Louis. Oh, you're welcome. That's so nice of the city to get together and write us a text. Also, National Double Cheeseburger Day. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. So just have that in your holster for this afternoon when you go out for lunch. Double cheeseburger. Yeah. Uh, Three Kings de Pair. Double cheeseburger over the weekend. Thumbs up. Oh, all right. Noted. I'll have to keep that in mind. From the five, mm, let's see. From the 618, take it or leave it, Georgia gives Bama a run from the, for their money. Got to take that. Georgia looks pretty good. That defense can play. Obviously, Alabama, every aspect of the game can play. But Kirby Smart, if anybody knows what Nick Saban's doing, it's Kirby, right? And they have enough talent to be able to give Alabama, at the very least, a run for their money. I was going to say, I'm taking it because we said run for their money. Not We didn't say they would defeat them, but I think they're going to give them a run for their money. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't see. I, I would be shocked if that didn't happen. Right? That just makes sense when those two get together that it's going to be a good game. For sure. From the 503, take it or leave it, the Cardinals are not getting enough appreciation this season. They are currently in a wild card spot despite missing Flaherty for most of the season. I'm going to leave that. It's interesting 
when you, for example, watch MLB Network or listen to the guys on ESPN when they do their Sunday Night Baseball and the Baseball Tonight pregame show, obviously because of Keith Costas and Greg being up in uh, in Secaucus, the Cardinals get plenty of love on MLB Network. And Verducci, really, he's been singing the Cardinals' praises for about a month now. He's been saying to the other teams, look out, look out for the Cardinals. So I think the Cardinals are getting, relative to where they are in the standings, enough love. I agree, relative to where they are and relative to what they've been. You know, they've been mm-hmm. pretty average yeah. <laughs> for the majority of the season. And they're a, they're a crown jewel franchise and they have star power. They have Wainwright, who's been amazing. And you're going to talk about Arenado and Yadier Molina and Paul Goldschmidt. And I think that they are in the mix. But if you're putting together a national rundown of baseball at certain points in the season, the Cardinals have not been that compelling. A month ago, a month and five days, August 10th, the Cardinals were 56 and 56 and eight and a half behind San Diego for the wild card in the National League. So we've really only had a month to talk about them starting to get hot. And even still, they've gone 14 and 13 over their last 27. Right. It's not great. We'll get to one more real okay. quick from the 314. Take it or leave it. Iowa will win the Big Ten. Leave that. Easy leave. You still think Ohio State? Ohio State will win the Big Ten. Yeah. And they'll win it going away. Take it or leave it. There will be a time in my lifetime when we can talk about Illinois winning the Big Ten. Leave it. Really? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Come there, on. there has been a time in your lifetime when they won the Big Ten, right? They went to the Rose Bowl. In 2008, got smashed by USC. I think in the early what 80s they might have been. John David Booty? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Okay, so. Uh, rough. Uh, okay, I'm going to change my answer. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to say that you do get an opportunity to uh, <laughs> see your fighting Illini in. <laughs> A role, well, as a Big Ten champ. You didn't even think twice about it at first. You just went, nope, nope, no. I, I know, but I changed my mind for you. Only because you saw my face and my, yeah, my you were utter despondent. despair. It was. Let me just check and see. I, and I know you people that are uh, hardcore Illinois fans remember the last. Well, maybe you don't remember the last time they won the Big Ten. But uh, let's see here if uh, we've got a Big Ten championship. He's still scrolling. Still scrolling. I, I, I thought still like scrolling. in the 80s, like 84-ish. Uh, let me see. Rose Bowl in 83. Mike White, 10 and 2. Thank In 2008, you. right? 2008. What was your record then? Uh, that was 2008. That was, the, was the five and seven. Rose Bowl was 06. 06. Nine and four. Nine and four. Yeah, okay, so I knew it was somewhere though. somewhere in that 05 to 08 range. 06. <laughs> Been a minute. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> Wait a minute. Thanks for your texts. We do appreciate it. Coming up. Our fresh take, your Cardinals are in the wild card lead in the National League. It's unbelievable. We'll tell you how they got there next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Flash, apparently official from the 101 ESPN newsroom. Illinois has won championships in our lifetime. Illinois was the Big Ten champ, Michelle, in 2001. 
maybe you were thinking, oh, I might go to Illinois because they were so good then. Yeah, yeah, only 20 years ago. There were quad champs in 1990, Mm -hmm. Illinois, Mm -hmm. Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State. All right. I did mention 1983. They did win the Big Ten that year. And then if we scroll down a little bit more, they've got one more in my lifetime, which was 1963 when they won the Big Ten. Love that 63 team. Yeah, well, who could forget it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, And... uh, they actually did have 10 teams in the conference. So four times in the last 58 years, Michelle. Four times in 58 years. It's better than zero. It's better than Mizzou. That's true. I think Mizzou may type, might have zero league championships. Zero? Yeah. In, well, no, they might have one in the 60s. But in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, zero league championships. Zero? Yeah. Not great for the Tigers. No. You would expect that they would have at least something You'd with the way so. Mizzou fans are. You would, you know, they're a pretty proud bunch. Yeah, but you get into conferences with uh, Illinois or uh, Nebraska and uh, Oklahoma at their peak, and then you get into a conference with Alabama under Saban, and it's going to be tough, tough to win. Could we could we just be kind for one day, please? Yeah, it's your birthday. I'm, I Thank you. apologize. Your Cardinals lead the National League's wild card race by a half game after their 7-6-11 inning win last night over the Mets. This was a fun game. The Mets led 3-2 in the eighth inning, and Tyler O'Neill stepped to the plate with a runner aboard for your Redbirds. He's driven in 57. O'Neill with a drive. Into deep center and gone! Tyler But in the bottom of the ninth with Giovanni Gallegos on the mound, Javi Baez with a solo homer to tie it at four. They go to the 11th after a great double play to end the 10th by the Cardinals. Edmundo Sosa drives home a run, and then with a couple of runners aboard, Andrew Kisner hitting just 184 is your pinch hitter. The 1-0 pitch. Kisner up the middle. Base hit! One run is in. Here comes another. The throw not in time. So what's Kisner thinking as he comes off the bench in that situation? You know, I had a good approach going in. I stuck to my approach. Uh, I was looking for something up in the zone against that guy with with that heavy sinker and that slider that sweeps across the zone. So I was just trying to get something up that I can handle and stay through the middle of the field. And he certainly did. But isn't this what we've needed from the Cardinals? Their depth at times this season to step up and do something. And Andrew Kisner off the bench delivers a huge play for the Cardinals in that moment. And I and I love this game last night, Randy, for so many different reasons. I love that it was back and forth. I love the drama of it. I love that the Cardinals scratched and clawed their way to a victory, which is a phrase that has been used a lot this season, but it actually applies to last night's game. But I love that it's guys like Sosa and Kisner and Kim who came in late in the game that were the ones that helped seal this victory because that's what you're going to need if you're the Cardinals. You're going to need your entire team to be pulling the rope the same way and the entire team to be contributing for you to actually make a run at this thing. Pretty much every team, unless you're the Dodgers and you have a really high-priced payroll and a lot of really prolific and 
media-driven stars, media-driven because they're good, unless you're a team like that, you're going to need players that surprise you. And when you get into the playoffs, you're going to say, okay, that's one of the reasons that we're there. Edmundo Sosa, for me, is at the top of that list for the Cardinals because if they would have had to go with DeYoung all year long, they wouldn't be here. Edmundo hitting 276, 741 OPS and always seems to come up with a big hit. Yes, he's been great for the Cardinals, and I love the energy that he brings, too. It's just a completely different look, and you're right. If the Cardinals do, in fact, stay in this position and they end up getting into the postseason, there's going to be several players that we look at and we say that is a key cog in this machine that got them there, and I think the the play as of late of Edmundo Sosa is certainly in the mix. And here's another thing. As people that talk about this every day or if, if you're watching every night, I've almost come to expect the Cardinals to get a good start every single game. We couldn't say that for a long, long time. But now, every time they send somebody to the mound, I expect that person to perform well for five innings at least. Now, Woodford only went four. I don't expect it necessarily from Jake Woodford. But from Hap, from Lester, from even Michaelis now, from Wayno, obviously... I've come to expect that, and I didn't think that I would ever expect that from the Cardinals this season. No, I didn't think that we would have this much confidence in their rotation at this point in the on September 15th. I didn't think that'd be something we were talking about. And then you think about what you just said, coupled with the fact that Jack Flaherty is on the horizon. And if you're the Cardinals and you know that his return is imminent, they don't need an infusion of energy right now. We saw this team mm-hmm. last night. They are there. They're in the thick of this. They're they're locked in. But getting your ace back, getting Jack Flaherty back with you to make this run, it's on another level. If you're the Cardinals, you it's just another oh, log of confidence that you have on the back burner knowing, hey, we're a team that, that some teams might be afraid to play, especially if we get Jack Flaherty back in the mix. No doubt. And I thought last night, first thing I thought, actually, when I saw the little confrontation between Yachty and Daniel Ponce de Leon was Daniel Ponce de Leon is gone. And Dakota Hudson has gone five innings. He's going to get another opportunity. I believe Flaherty throws tomorrow. But when one of those guys is ready, is there a guy on the staff that is below Ponce right now? I was shocked that he was in last night's game. I wonder what happened afterwards. Is that something that they just... Say, hey, hey, man, sorry, my bad. Emotions are high. It's an it's an intense game. Or do you think that that brews over? Pont better be the one that says something to Yachty. And I would think that, yes, if he under, if he reads the room, <laughs> he goes to Yachty and says, hey, my bad. I'm sorry. That won't happen again. I, I apologize. Would, I would be sitting at his locker in the clubhouse after the game, sheepishly sitting yeah. there saying, mm-hmm. My bad. Even if you're completely wrong, it's Yachty. Oh, totally. <laughs> Even right. if it's so, sometimes you have to read the room, understand the hierarchy of things in the environment that you're existing in. And I, I, but a part of me wonders if Yachty likes that he gave it back to him a little, if Yachty respects the fire and respects the intensity in someone else. But either way, if I'm Pons, sorry, man. So let me give you the other Cardinal bullpen pitchers right now. You tell me if these guys are above or below Ponce de Leon in the pecking order, trying to determine whether or not he would be the the first guy to go, okay? Okay. Cabrera, above or below Ponce? Above. Gallegos. Above. Luis Garcia. Above. KK. Above. TJ McFarland. Above. Justin Miller. Above. I agree with that. But that's one that I'm writing down. Andrew Miller. Above, but I'm writing it down. Alex Reyes. Uh, Definitely above. Cody Whitley. Above. Okay. So there you have it. So 
maybe the decision is between he and Miller. Yeah, but if you're bringing back a Hudson, I'm going to get rid of Ponce de Leon before I'm going to get rid of one of the Millers. That's just where I am with him right now. And let's see, you have Flaherty's not on the 60 day, so you don't have to DFA anybody, but Hudson is on the 60 day. So that would be the play. So my question would be, if you're going to bring a guy off the 60 day and put him on your 40 man roster, who's the guy that loses a roster spot? I believe that it would be Ponce de Leon. I wonder if last night is a contributing factor at all. That was what I thought. If, if I'm the management of the team, if I'm Mo and Gersh and I look at that, I say, this guy's got enough issues. He doesn't need to be arguing with Yadier Molina. <laughs> That's true. Just listen to Yadier Molina. But the Cardinals ended up winning the game right. last night in dramatic fashion. Yeah, the question wasn't and, even asked. And winning heals all, all wounds, right? And I think it's much easier when the Cardinals end up winning that game to squash something yeah. like that and have it be a non-factor. Right. We're talking about it because it's Yadier Molina. And when the decision has to be made, because there is a decision on the horizon in the next week to 10 days. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. We're going to hear a lot about Andy Dalton and Justin Fields until Justin Fields actually gets named the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears, Randy. And Jay Glazer said that might be a few weeks. You might still have to wait for Justin Fields to get the official nod. Jay Glazer reporting that the plan was for Justin Fields not to be the starter before week four. He says that one I can tell you without a doubt. The Bears were really hoping their defense would come up big, that they'd be able to play ball control football, and Andy Dalton would be able to manage that team. And Justin Fields could just learn. They did want to take they did want to take him along a lot more slowly than throwing him in there in game one or game two or something along those lines even though the Rams only had three sacks the other night they had incredible pressure on the quarterback their offensive line in Chicago is not ready for prime time and again if I'm going to throw a quarterback to the Wolves among those two I understand that Justin Fields is more mobile but Robert Griffin III was a mobile quarterback and he got a hit and his career was ended by a knee injury you don't see old running quarterbacks I want that guy to be protected before I plug him in on a regular basis doesn't matter next week whether the Bears have Justin Fields or Andy Dalton in the lineup they aren't winning a Super Bowl this year so you might as well preserve the guy and build your team around him they didn't didn't build the team around Mitch Trubisky so you might as well coach some guys up and get your team ready to go next week they play the Bengals the week after that they play the Browns week four they play the Lions Week four is a good time. That's what I was thinking. Week four, Detroit. But then after that, you have the next few games. Raiders, Packers, Bucks, 49ers, Steelers, Ravens. Then you're going to have your hands full. And you better have your offensive line fixed by then. And even if you play Detroit, they might bite your knee. That's true. There's a threat there. It could happen. The Packers defense is not going to be good this year. So you don't have to worry about them. But... That team, that group of teams you listed after the Packers, they've all got pass rushers that can hurt a quarterback. My initial reaction when I heard that Jake Laser report was week four seems fair. 
Yeah. And I know Bears fans and and probably members of the team are looking at Justin Fields as the best opportunity for the Bears to win. But this is a long play for the Bears. You don't want to ruin this guy or get him injured in the first couple weeks of his rookie season because he's the the best player for you. I know you play to win the game, but to your point, Randy, you want to make sure that the line in front of him is ready to protect him and that he's ready to go out there and be the starting quarterback. You don't want to put him in a situation that he's not ready for and maybe mess with his confidence or or mess with him at all. If you're a Bears fan, you want to win a Super Bowl for the first time since 1985, and it's not happening in 2021. So, build, like I say, build the team. You're, uh, you and I are on the exact same page here. You're killing me, Smalls. Speaking of quarterbacks, one that we really haven't talked about a lot on this show, but that's getting a lot of love nationally, is Jalen Hurts, who had a great performance on Sunday. He went 27 of 35, 265 yards, three touchdowns, and the Eagles 32 to 6 win over the Falcons. Plus, he had 62 yards rushing. And a lot of people are Jalen Hurts believers, so much so that his jersey sales saw the largest one day spike of any NFL player with an increase of more than 500. This is according to Fanatics. So his number one jersey is currently the number two best-selling NFL product behind. Do you want to guess who it's behind? Uh, Number two behind Mac Jones? Correct. Behind Mac Jones. But I think we we knew Mac Jones was getting a lot of Patriots love. fans. Patriots yeah. fans. Once he was named the starting quarterback of the Patriots, we saw a big spike there. But for Jalen Hurts, after that performance, have a 500 percent spike. Pretty impressive. Was there a guy when you watched Hurts at Alabama or Oklahoma or have watched him in the NFL? Was there a guy that he reminds you of? Because I specifically thought of a guy when he was in college and I said, I said to myself, why can't this guy play in the NFL? Because player A is succeeding at a high level. Who did you say? Russell Wilson. That's exactly. I was going to say Russell Wilson or Drew Brees. And yeah. I, I I could see it. Yeah, he's, he's got the mobility. Like you say, he ran for 62 yards. He, he can throw. He doesn't have the deep arm that Russell has, but he's got a lot of the same leadership attributes that make Russell Wilson great. You're killing me, Smalls. Another NFL note, Buffalo Bills, their ownership has announced that there's a new policy. It's going to require all fans to be vaccinated to attend games at Highmark Stadium and Key Bank Center, which is home of the Sabres. Mm -hmm. The Pagulas own both of those teams. And they said that beginning with the September 26th game against the Washington football fans, excuse me, the Washington football team. Who will bring their Washington football fans with them? They will bring their Washington football fans. All fans ages 12 and up must have received at least one COVID. 19 vaccine shot in order to attend. Now, there's going to be a number of ways for fans to prove that they're vaccinated. Photos or copies of the vaccine card will not be accepted. The physical vaccination card, uh, the New York State Excelsior Pass, or clear digital vaccine cards and government digital vaccine proof from outside New York State will all be accepted. So, Fans are going to have to make sure that A, they're vaccinated and B, that they have the proper proof of that vaccination to even get into the stadium. First thing I thought of when I saw this was, what does Cole Beasley think? Noted anti-vaxxer who went to Twitter and said, if you find an away game you're able to go to, then I will buy the tickets for you guys. DM me names and everything, and I'll figure out the best way to make it happen. Wish we could witness the mafia. So he actually is going to buy fans tickets for away games because they don't want to get vaccinated. This seems like a dangerous door to open because I'm sure a lot of people are asking him for tickets. Yeah. That could be a full-time job. Even if you are vaxxed, yeah. You'd think so.
Yeah. How is he going to prove that they're not vaccinated? Right. I, anybody could DM him and ask for tickets. Yeah. So, you, hey, I'm going to a road game. It's on Cole Beasley. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> I wonder how many fans he'll actually hook up with tickets. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know, but I, I like the rule. I'm glad that the Bills are taking it upon their organizations to protect everybody that's in that building. And again, one in every hundred thousand people now that are taking COVID that wind up in the hospital are vaccinated. One in every hundred thousand. The Bills are actually the fourth NFL team to ask fans to be fully vaccinated if they want to attend games in person. The Saints, the Seahawks, and the Vegas Raiders also in that group. Makes sense. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, Randy, we got some news from the Brewers yesterday. Ryan Braun, the 2011 National League MVP and franchise home run king, announced his retirement yesterday. Hey, Brewer fans, Ryan Braun here. This is an exciting time to be following the Brewers, and like you, I'm enjoying every minute of it. While we're taking it all in, I wanted to take a minute to share some news with you. On May 25th, 2007, I took the field for the first time in a Major League uniform. Today, more than 14 years later, I have decided to officially retire as an active player. Did you know he was still an active player? No, I didn't. I didn't either. Because he hasn't been playing. He hasn't played this season. He was a free agent when the Brewers declined to exercise that $15 million mutual option with his contract last October. So I thought that's the end. (laughs) Last October, I thought was the end. I did did too. I I thought that baseball retired him like 10 months ago. So I'm glad that he got the chance to tell Brewer fans that he has officially retired. If you're the Brewers, with everything that you dealt with with him, do you retire his number? That's that's the tricky question here because he has 352 home runs. He played all 14 of his Major League Baseball seasons with the Brewers. He ranks high near the top in most categories, second in franchise history and career RBI in extra base hits, total bases and doubles, third in runs, hits, triples, stolen bases and walks. He's right up there in every category. But of course, he has that performance enhancing drugs Mm -hmm. chapter in his story. And he played for the team for a while after that. That was 2012, and he didn't stop playing until October of last year. So if you're the Brewers, I think it's probably buried enough that you can honor him in some way. Some way. There are only two guys that have their numbers retired. Players are Yount and Molitor, both in the Hall of Fame. So like the Cardinals, I would maintain that tradition. They retired number one for Bud Selig, I think. But... If I were them, if I were the Brewers, much like if I'm the Cardinals, I'm only going to retire the numbers of National Hall of Famers. Great stuff, Michelle. Thank you. You got it, Randy. Coming up next, we've got a fight for you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Carriker and Smallman. It's time for the fight on this hump day on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're welcoming Randy's challenger, Levi, to the show. If you missed the fight yesterday, Levi, with a great performance, he ended up defeating Randy with the tiebreaker question. He was closer to the pin. And after the fight, I said to Randy, do you think that Levi will beat you again yesterday? And he says, think? 
indicating that he was going to stomp Levi today. So, Levi, good morning again. Great to talk to you. How do you feel about Randy essentially calling his shot today? Oh, he ain't no Babe Ruth, I can tell you that. Oh, I love the confidence. Okay, Levi, (laughs) and I want to tell you that it's Emily's birthday today. Happy birthday to Emily. So we have a birthday-themed fight for you. All right, cool. All right, well, let's jump in. Good luck. Question number one. Happy 61st birthday to pro football and college Hall of Famer Dan the Man Marino. Emily, you share a birthday with Dan Marino? Amazing. It's a great day. It is a great day. Dan Marino finished his four college seasons with 8,597 passing yards and 79 touchdowns for which university? Was it Florida State? Was it Pittsburgh? Or was it Boston College? Uh, I'm going Pittsburgh. Happy 42nd birthday to NHL legend Patrick Marleau, a 1,779 NHL game veteran. Which team drafted Marlowe second overall in the 1997 NHL draft? Was it the Toronto Maple Leafs, the San Jose Sharks, or the Pittsburgh Penguins? Mm. Can you say the options again? The Toronto Maple Leafs, the San Jose Sharks, or the Pittsburgh Penguins? I'm going to go the Penguins. Question number three. Happy 71st birthday to Seahawks head coach and executive vice president of football operations, Pete Carroll. I can't believe Pete Carroll's 71 years old. Looks great. Before coming back to the NFL in 2010, Carroll had a college football head coaching gig. Where was it? Was it USC, Ohio State, or Arkansas? Uh, USC. And happy 27th birthday to Cardinals pitcher Dakota Hudson. Hudson was named to the All-SEC first team his senior year while playing for which university in college? Was it Mississippi State, LSU, or Ole Miss? Ole Miss. Okay, checking our score. Randy eating some Chick-fil-A that just got delivered coming into the studio. It's Wednesdays with Wayno, sponsored by Chick-fil-A. So they drop off food from time to time, which is lovely. Randy, how's your breakfast sandwich? It's tremendous, and if you do stop by a Chick-fil-A today, don't forget to try the Sun Joy there, Arnold Palmer. It's delicious. It is. Randy, you remember Levi? He beat you yesterday. I remember Levi. How are you, sir? Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, Randy? Doing well. Great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. And yesterday, Randy, I said, do you think you're going to beat Levi tomorrow? You said, think? You called your (laughs) shot, so no pressure here. No, no. There's never any pressure here, Michelle. Okay, the confidence. Um, And as you know, Randy, it is Emily's birthday today, so we have a birthday-themed fight for you. Love it. And you're going to love this question, and you're going to know the answer. Happy 61st birthday to Pro Football and College Hall of Famer Dan the Man Marino. All right. Emily sharing her birthday with Dan Marino. Marino finished his four college seasons with 8,597 passing yards and 79 touchdowns for which university? He was a product of Pittsburgh the University of Pittsburgh. Happy 42nd birthday to NHL legend Patrick Marlowe, a 1,779 NHL game veteran. Which team drafted Marlowe second overall in the 1997 NHL draft? That would be the San Jose Sharks. Happy 71st birthday to Seahawks head coach and executive vice president of football operations, Pete Carroll. Can you believe he's 71? He doesn't look 71. I hope I'm that way at 71. He does not look 71. I need to get in better shape. Speaking of... 
Pete Carroll being in great shape. Uh, Stacy Joe Ross does a show on ESPN in Seattle, ESPN Radio, and mm-hmm. girls in radio have to stick together, so we keep in touch. And she had a video that she posted of her co- she and her co-host out at Seahawks practice. They were broadcasting from mm-hmm. training camp, and in the background was the weight room, and there was one person in there pumping iron, and it was Pete Carroll. How about that? And he was going for it. He looked great. Can't believe he's 71. Anyway, before coming back to the NFL in 2010, Pete Carroll had a college football head coaching gig. Where was it? At the University of Southern California, USC. I mathed wrong. Pete's actually 70. My bad, Pete. Uh, He'll he'll be 71 soon. True. Happy 27th birthday to Cardinals pitcher Dakota Hudson. Hudson was named to the All-SEC first team his senior year while playing for which university? Dak Hudson. (laughs) Um... Seems like he might have been an Ole Miss rebel. We'll go with that. Ooh, this was a close fight between Randy and Levi, who again, reminder, beat Randy yesterday. Was he able to do it again after Randy called his shot? Emily, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Just win, baby. I knew that was coming. I knew Al Davis was coming. I'm sorry, Levi. It was so close. But Randy edged you out three to two. Three to two. Both of you got the, one of the same ones wrong. And Randy edged you out on question number two. So Dan Marino did play his college football at Pittsburgh. 8,597 passing yards and 79 touchdowns for Pittsburgh. Patrick Marlowe was drafted second overall in the 97 NHL draft by the San Jose Sharks. Randy got that one correct. Levi didn't, unfortunately. Before coming back to the NFL in 2010. Pete Carroll, of course, was the head coach famously of USC from 2001 to 2009. And Dakota Hudson was named to the all-SEC first team his senior year while playing for Mississippi State. Mississippi State. I I knew when I said it, I blew it. It's okay. You still won the fight. Levi, though, great performance out of you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Sorry you couldn't take it home today. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. (laughs) What? How many, of those, how many of those victory sounders do you have loaded up in that board of yours? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but I've got more. Well, congratu- congratulations, Randy. You did call your shot, so. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And coming up. There is a great new 30 for 30 out. It's called Once Upon a Time in Queens. And Nick Davis is the producer and director of said 30 for 30. It's a four-parter. And we're going to hear from Nick Davis next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. There is a new 30 for 30 out about the 1986 Mets. It's called Once Upon a Time in Queens. It's a four-part series, and the producer and director of Once Upon a Time in Queens, Nick Davis, joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101. Nick, thanks for taking so much uh, the time with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I've never been on a celebrity line before. Oh, well, you, you are, if you weren't before, you're a celebrity now. Uh, here we are 35 years after the 1986 Mets. What prompted you to put this together? 
Uh, I have been a lifelong Mets fan, and I always wanted to tell this story um, from the moment, actually, in 85, during that great uh, playoff uh, race with the Cardinals, I-, I felt like, oh, my gosh, you know, all my life I've waited for a team and an exciting moment like this. Um, I mean, you know, as a kid, I grew up reading Boys of Summer and just sort of dreaming about a team that, that had that kind of legendary possibility, and I was getting it in the mid-'80s, and I felt like, well, this I'm never going to forget this. This is so amazing. I really want to remember this. And um, as long-form documentaries started to, you know, become popular, I, I, I always wondered, why has the 1986 Mets people have written books about them and they've done portions, you know, but why has this epic story to me never been told? Um, and so, you know, luckily enough, I, I got in a position where I, I started to ask that question of the people who could help me make it happen. And Nick, you mentioned you grew up a Mets fan. And one thing that I really took away from this 30 for 30 is that you can't really tell the story of those Mets without infusing the Cardinals into it. And here in St. Louis, that hatred for the Mets is still here. And it's kind of amazing that you look back at that time and you when you interviewed members of that team, they still have that hatred for the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's deep. I mean, as uh, I think Ed Lynch, who was a member of the 85 and 86 Mets, uh, said, you know, we didn't have a rivalry with the Cardinals. It was hatred. We hated each other. And and you felt that. We interviewed Terry Pendleton of, of the Cardinals as well. And, and, and you felt like these teams, there's something deep and, and, and venomous almost about how they, they just couldn't stand each other. And a lot of that, obviously, I think, had to do with, with Keith Hernandez. Nick, it's pretty cool when you have a team, and we had one here with the greatest show on turf, St. Louis Rams, back in the day. When you know they're going to win and they're be they're going to be dominant, and it's especially cool when there's a level of athletic arrogance like Davey Johnson had before the '86 mm. season started. Yes, yeah. I mean, they, they knew uh, you know that they were they were going to win, and and he, you know, unlike most managers who would be you know. Uh, politically correct or, or at least safe, he told the press, yeah, we're, we're not just going to win, we're going to dominate. And you don't say things like that. And I remember at the time, Whitey Herzog said, uh, well, yeah, I mean, the Mets think they won the last two years anyway. You know, I mean, they, they had such arrogance about them and were such characters that, um, you know, to be able to tell their story is so fun because even if you don't like them or you didn't like them then, you know, they, they just w- had so much personality that it's great to find out who they really were. And going back, I was covering the Cardinals every day at that point, And I remember specifically, I can still see it in my mind's eye. The day the Cardinals announced that Jack Clark was out for the year in, in his media scrum, Whitey said, boys, it's not going to happen this year. And that's referenced in the piece about how yes. Whitey said, hey, it's not going to happen for the Cardinals this year. This is the Mets year. Yeah, that's right. And Davey, even all these years later, Davey Johnson says in, in the documentary, you know, he calls him the white rat. And it is the white rat jump shit pretty quick, <laughs> you know. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's it's so wonderful to, to uh, you know, be able to immerse yourself in, in that time and those people. Nick, one thing I really loved about this documentary is the way that you really captured how the Mets took over New York. It really felt like the Mets were the personification of New York at that time time. 
the city was bouncing back after tough times, financial crisis. But the city was blooming with personality. There was a club scene that was popping up and thriving. And here come the Mets, and they're the same way. They were a pretty rough, rough operation, and they went from that to a team that's built to win, that is booming with personality, and that also loved the club scene. And I just thought it was really interesting the way you were able to capture that because it's pretty improbable for a team to come along and really be able to steal the hearts of baseball fans in New York when you have the Yankees who have been a crown jewel for so long. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it, 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 that, that's great. I'm glad you, you, you got that because there was this feeling that somehow the team was fusing itself with the city and, and the city had recovered or it seemed like it had recovered from the 70s. There were still a lot of problems. There was a lot of crime and, and, and drug problems and race problems and all these problems in the city that, you know, in this sort of exhilaration of, of the go-go 80s and money was flowing through Wall Street and stuff, we all sort of forgot about all these problems or they were swept under the rug and the same exact thing was happening on the team. There were all these problems but they were just swept under the rug because the team kept winning. Nick Davis, who is producer and director of Once Upon a Time in Queens, a 30 for 30 about the 1986 Mets is with us. And Nick... As I watched this, I knew that they had drug problems on that team. I didn't realize that the pervasive cocaine problem was what it was. Once you learned it, are you shocked that they were able to accomplish what they did with all the cocaine that they took? Well, that's what's so interesting. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, people, you know, especially Mets fans of that era, it's like, oh, I can't believe they only won one and they should have won more. And it's like, what do you mean? Look at what they were doing. It's a miracle they got one championship out of it. I, I, I think that the way those guys lived and they, 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 they played hard, they partied hard, and yet they, they were together, you know? They, they definitely fought amongst themselves, but they were such a family. They were so united and all in pursuit of winning. And, and that was really revelatory to me because, you know, as a fan, you think, well, doesn't, don't, aren't all sports teams, aren't they all just want to win? And, and they do, but so many of these guys, especially like Bobby Ojeda, who'd been on other teams, they said, no, it's not like that all the time. And it wasn't like that in other years. You know, there was a hunger and a desire to win that, to a man, they said they'd never experienced before or since. You, you called them a family. With that being the case, how do you think Gary Carter fit into that family dynamic of the Mets? <laughs> well, he's your, you know, he's the, the the relative who, you know, gets out the Bible and starts reading the Bible to you at, 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 at dinner when we're all talking about R-rated movies. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's like, okay, thank you, Gary. You know, I mean, the, the Mets, they, they accepted him and, and they made fun of him. But if you were a cardinal or a brave and you made fun of him, they were going to go after you. And and that's the other thing is they, they kept fighting. I mean, they, they got four on-the-field brawls that year and, and won them all, as, uh, you know, interviewee Jeff Perlman says. Um, but, you know, I think Carter, he, he didn't quite fit in, but his toughness fit in. Um, and, and his desire to win was off the charts. I mean, he had been very frustrated in Montreal where he was openly despised by certain members of, 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 of the Expos, you know, because they thought he was a camera hog and, and he was speaking French and, you know, none of them spoke French. And it's like, yeah, but he wanted to do well and he wanted, he worked hard. And, and, and when he got to the Mets, all he cared about was winning. 
And as soon as the Mets figured that out, they they opened welcomed him with open arms. And Nick, sticking with the family thread here, Keith Hernandez has to be the patriarch of that family. And <laughs> you, yeah. did, you did a great job capturing the way that he was able to bring together so many different personalities and a lot of young players on this team. And it feels like a lot of their identity and that hunger you described to win came from Keith Hernandez. Yeah, I mean, he he changed the complexion of the team when he came over in that just, you know, uh, fateful trade in uh, June of 1983 from from the Cardinals. Um, You know, he he had won. Obviously, he'd won the World Series with the Cardinals and got a key hit in Game 7 of the 82 Series. And and he was a winner. And his first, you know, three or four months on the match, the rest of the 83 season, he was not sure he wanted to stick around. Um, But he, he... you know, he went home to his father after the offseason and, and had a real heart-to-heart. His dad said, look, I think they got some good young players. I think you ought to stick around. And so he committed to, to sticking around. And sure enough, the next year, Dwight Gooden is a rookie on the team. Strawberry is maturing. And the next thing you know, he is leading them to a 90-win season in 84. And it's like, okay, it's it's happening. And it's happening a lot faster, I think, even than Keith had, had thought it would. I wonder how often it happens in because of where the Mets were and, and when, and because Game Six was so iconic, the story about Keith Hernandez in the in the extra innings of Game Six is unbelievable, almost. Yes, yes, and Keith was you know he he made the second out. It looked all you know it looked like it was over uh, in Game Six of the World Series, um, and and he just went into the clubhouse and cracked a beer and thought, well, I we we blew it. And, um, you know, he, he's not happy about the fact that he wasn't on the dugout, uh, in the dugout with the rest of his teammates. But the fact is, a lot of them were in the clubhouse. You know, Strawberry was in the clubhouse. Gooden was in the clubhouse. Uh, Kevin Mitchell was in the clubhouse, you know, getting, getting undressed. He had to get dressed when they said, no, you're pinch hitting. Come on. And so it's. It, 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 it is interesting and fascinating what happens to to humans who are on a base, baseball team when they are on the brink of blowing, you know, what should be a, a triumphant, you know, World Series victory. And Nick, we should note that it wasn't unusual for Daryl Strawberry during games to be getting undressed in that clubhouse. <laughs> well, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> you know what's fascinating about uh, Daryl Strawberry is, uh, is, you know, he has turned his life around. It, it's amazing. I mean, it, you know, he, he went through so many ups and downs during the course of his playing career. But he now lives in right out where you guys are. Right. He lives in sub- suburban St. Louis. And is the one interview, once COVID hit, uh, we we went to a pandemic mode of of production, so I would zoom in from New York City and interview all these guys. But uh, Daryl was the one flight. I flew to St. Louis to interview Daryl, uh, and and spent a wonderful full day uh, with him out there. And and it's just. I, I don't know what to say about the irony of the fact that Daryl Strawberry now lives in St. Louis, <laughs> but it's it's incredible. And he lives in St. Louis, and he's a, he's a man of God. I mean, it's it's incredible. He's a totally different person from who we watched play. Well, Nick, speaking of the interviews that you conducted, it was probably a dream to talk to these guys. As I'm watching this from somebody who used to be in production, I'm looking at this going – these sound bites are so colorful. They're they're unbelievable. It's like every other person when they talk. It's it's a, a funny line or a really compelling line. And a lot has been chronicled about this team. But it seems like these guys were were very vibrant in their answers to you and very transparent. So, what's the one thing you learned while making this that really surprised you about that team? 
Well, I think you're totally right. I, it, I think one of the things that made them such great interview subjects is what made them such a compelling team in the first place. They were all so full of personality. Um, and you know, spending time with Kevin Mitchell, Lenny Dykstra, Daryl Dock, Hernandez, they, they're, they're fascinating guys. I think what surprised me most, especially because I was and am a Mets fan and, and just grew up thinking, God, these are the best athletes of all time, I had no idea the level of baseball intelligence that they had, um, you know, you know, and, and remembering certain things about strategy and, you know, Hernandez on second base and telling Daryl, keep your shoulder in, in this key at bat during the playoffs and, and strawberry telling me the same story, remembering how he kept his shoulder in and what Hernandez said to him and little things about strategy and hitting and, and all of that. I mean, say what you build about Lenny Dykstra. He's a baseball savant and, and the level of, the, the baseball IQ is like off the charts. That's what surprised me most of all. I have to say, they're 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 amazing, you know, characters, but they're also really smart about their profession, and that makes for interesting viewing. Lenny Dykstra was very interesting viewing. <laughs> yeah, Lenny Dykstra. He began his interview with the you know seven minutes is the most unprintable, hilarious comic riff I, I've ever heard. I had to mute the Zoom. I was laughing so hard. Um, but by the end of his interview, he had completely opened up, and I was—I I felt like I was in the presence of, of, of like a Marlon Brando in On the Waterfront or something. I mean, he was—he was just so raw about what has happened to him, but the fact that he did have this one moment. He, he won a World Series in New York City, and he still holds on to that, and it means a great deal to him, as it does to all these guys. It's—it's it's very emotional stuff. Hey, Nick, one more thing. If you ask most people in St. Louis what the score of Game 7 of the 2011 World Series was because Game 6 in 2011 was so iconic with the freeze home run, most people look at Game 7 as a footnote. Is that the way you look at Game 7 for the Mets in 86? It's a, that's a perfect analogy. We talked to John McEnroe, and he, he had the same feeling about Game 86 World Series. It's like you win that and you think it's over. It's not over. You still got another game to play. And he actually also likened it to the Olympic hockey team. You know, mm -hmm. you, you beat the Russians on Friday night, but then you, you, you still have to play for the gold medal on Sunday. Um, yes. And, and the thing is, and maybe the Mets felt this way too, because next thing you know, you wake up and you're down three nothing and it's the sixth inning. Um, and, and you got to come back, but, but the Mets, you know, as, as the Cardinals, the, the Cardinals, it was never really a doubt, as I remember from that game, but, uh, the Mets had to come back from three, nothing, uh, in that game and, 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 you know, dig deep and have another come from behind victory. And, and when Ray Knight hit the home run in the seventh game, uh, in the seventh inning, that was the first time all series long that the Mets actually had control of the series. Last thing, this is clearly and literally a labor of love, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is and has been. And I, I have to say, I, what Adam Wainwright said, I know this is totally off topic, but I just realized I'm talking to St. Louis people. What Adam Wainwright said last night after the game <laughs> was the, the most brilliant, funniest thing. And I was like, wow, he's, I mean, man, you make a movie about that guy and, and that 2006 Cardinal team. That, that's character. Wainwright and, and Molina, uh, that, was, that, was, that was great what he said. Well, Nick, we really enjoyed your project, Once Upon a Time in Queens, a 30 for 30 on ESPN, and people can check it out on ESPN Plus as well. Thanks so much for the time, and congratulations. Thank you so much, guys. It was fun talking to you. It was great. Take care.
Nick Davis. He is the producer and director of Once Upon a Time in Queens, and you can see it on ESPN+. The St. Louis lawsuit against the NFL rolls on. We'll give you the latest next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Did you know that you can join Michelle at CarX in Baldwin on Friday from 2 to 4? It's a CarX 50th anniversary celebration. Tons of great specials, including free hot dogs, free hamburgers, and free soda. Stop in and get $15 off an oil change. Uh, get that voucher that can be used at any time between now and the end of the year. It's all happening Friday, 2 to 4, with Michelle at the CarX in Baldwin. Yesterday in St. Louis, Judge Christopher McGraw ruled against the NFL in their motion for summary judgment there were three different aspects that they were asking to have the case removed from because of and in each different aspect of the case the judge ruled in favor of the plaintiffs of St. Louis, St. Louis County and the RSA rather than in the NFL and uh, what he wrote was the Com- Sports Complex Authority, St. Louis and St. Louis County, brought this action for breach of contract, unjust enrichment, and tort claims arising from the Rams' relocation from St. Louis to Los Angeles. He went through the arguments of all three, and you can find this at stltoday.com, and found that legal precedent fell in favor of the plaintiffs and that there is enough evidence to move forward with each of the three counts that St. Louis brought in this lawsuit and his very last line, therefore it is ordered and decreed that defense, defense, defendant's motion for summary judgment is in all caps denied. In all caps, huh? Yeah. Very official. But if you're the NFL and you get word that this is denied, this is yet another loss on the NFL side of this legal battle. At what point do you start to panic if you're the league, if you're Stan Kroenke? Because it seems like they've exhausted all options now, if I'm reading this correctly, and that this is going to trial unless they present St. Louis with a enticing settlement offer that St. Louis elects to take, which based on everything you have told us, doesn't seem like that's something, at least right now, that St. Louis is interested in. So if I'm the NFL and I know that this is going to go to trial and that there's billions of dollars at stake and that all of this could be revealed, all of the the dirty work that we did behind the scenes, all the lying, all the maneuvering to get what we wanted is going to be revealed in a court of law, I'm nervous. I'm concerned if I'm the NFL, too. And let me just give you one snippet from the judge's decision yesterday. And tell me how this reflects on how you think it reflects on the NFL attorneys. Okay. Okay? This is in the initial claim, which is that... uh, the, the claim was made for breach of contract. And one of the things that the judge writes in his decision yesterday is, quote, defendants rely primarily on the unpublished, unbinding opinion of a California court in arguing that the relocation policy is not a contract under Missouri law because it does not contain any sufficiently definite promises. A review of the document at issue indicates that it does, in fact, contain sufficiently definite promises. The relocation policy states in pertinent part that each NFL club's primary obligation is to advance the interests of the league in its home 
territory. The relocation policy further provides that clubs are obligated to work diligently and in good faith to obtain and to maintain suitable stadium facilities in their home territories and to operate in a manner that maximizes fan support in their current home community. Emphasis added. The term obligation ordinarily means a legal duty. This is an obligation that their relocation policy states. See Black's Law Dictionary, 8th edition, 2004, defining obligation as a legal or moral duty to do or to not do something. What I took out of that was they're arguing something that doesn't really apply here because they're trying to compare California court to Missouri court. And not only are they trying to do that, but they're doing it with an unpublished, unbinding opinion of a California court. So you've got something that doesn't matter to anybody, and you're bringing it into a courtroom in St. Louis saying, well, yeah, this is why we're arguing the way we are. Yes. In addition to that, the way it computed in my brain is we made these rules, but we we don't think that these are binding. These are just suggestions and not actual guidelines. And that the court is saying, you know, these are rules that apply in a court of law. The word obligation is used, which usually ties itself towards the it being a law and you were supposed to negotiate in good faith with the community in which the team was in per your guidelines and you didn't do that. Exactly. You didn't follow the promises that you made in your policy. So if I'm the NFL and I'm reading that and I know all the dirty details and how this all went down and I know that I didn't really try in any sort of good faith to negotiate with St. Louis, that there was never going to be an avenue that St. Louis could take in which the NFL was going to allow the Rams to stay here and that every person who was a part of this operation behind the scenes knows that and that there's evidence that points to that concretely. I'm nervous. I don't want all of that to be aired out in court because it's going to result in a big time loss for the NFL. Michelle, the Pittsburgh Pirates do exist, right? Sometimes you are going to get into a battle that you have no chance to win. When the Pirates started this season, they knew that they were in a battle that they had no chance to win. And their general manager and manager knew that. That's what these attorneys are right now. They have to know that they can't win this case, either legally or through sleight of hand. So if I'm those attorneys, I'm definitely going to the commissioner. I'm going to the owners and saying, we've got some problems here. We need to come up with a really good idea for a settlement offer. We don't know if St. Louis will take it, but if I'm their attorneys, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to come up with the best offer I can. And while I agree with everything you say, this is the NFL that we're dealing with. Do they have the self-awareness to know that it's not going to work out in their favor? This, again, is a group of people that completely bypassed their their guidelines that they had written and did whatever means necessary, including a secret vote mm-hmm. in order to get what they wanted. I don't think that they think that they're going to lose. And I don't think that they've exhausted every option that they can in order to win this thing. I would not be surprised if they would go to any means necessary to make sure that they don't lose this case. Runaway and- jury. I'm just saying, I'm not putting it past them. I'm really not, because I don't think that the NFL is ready to take a public L on this one. And I mean, both by admitting that they were wrong and from a monetary standpoint. This is the NFL, Randy. They think that they can get whatever they want. Okay, so here's what we need to do. And they usually have, by the way. It has always worked out for them. We all need to watch the movie Runaway Jury. I've never seen it. What we need is Nicholas Easter. Who's who's in it? Uh, It's John Cusack and Rachel Weisz. 
it's a really good movie. Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman, great movie. Okay. And Nick Easter is a juror that finds his way onto a jury to try to turn the jury to do the right thing. To, to turn them to do the right thing. Yes. Oh. And the other side is a gun manufacturer that is trying essentially to buy the jury, to turn the jury their way. So we need Nick Easter. And who is that in this? John Cusack? John Cusack, yeah. Okay, great in serendipity, by the way. That's the only John Cusack vehicle I'm aware of. I think of. he's really underrated. As a matter of fact, two of my favorite underrated actors in this movie, John Cusack and uh, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman was never in a bad movie. He's retired now. He was never in a bad movie. Was there an official press conference where he retired? I don't know if there was a press conference, but there was an announcement that he's dealing with some old age issues. Oh, I understand. Okay, his filmography. Welcome to Mooseport. Are you familiar? Yep, good, funny. Yep. Runaway Jury. Great. Behind Enemy Lines. Really great. The Royal Tenenbaums. Unbelievable. Great. Heist. Yep. Heartbreakers. Don't think I saw that one. Jennifer Love Hewitt and um, what's that woman? Sigourney Weaver oh, are in it. Thumbs up. I, I it's, think... it's entertaining. Okay. Uh, the Mexican. Okay, good. You've seen it? Yep. Okay. The Replacements. Really, really good. Under Suspicion. Great. Enemy of the State. Fantastic movie with Will Smith and Regina King. Ants. Ants is great. <laughs> yep. Twilight. And not not about the vampire. No, the other Twilight. Yeah. Let's good. see. Let me click on this. Twilight. This has Susan Sarandon in it, so you know it's good. Yeah. Um, I'll give you one more because there it is a long list Hoosiers. of movies that he's been in. Yep, Hoosiers. Uh, have you seen, I'm going down, have you seen Uncommon Valor? Yes. And it's good? It's great. Okay, I'm still scrolling. Have you seen Young Frankenstein? Yes, I didn't realize he was in it, but he, it's a great movie. He played Blind Man. Okay. <laughs> wow. He's, uh, the guy has not been in a bad movie. He's one of the most underrated actors in the history of actors. Well, we just went through a pretty solid list, and we I've and seen, I think, two of those. The, but They're all good. They were great. The Cardinals come away with a victory last night. We're going to talk to Wayno at the bottom of the hour, but we'll tell you about last night and what it means for tonight next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Adam Wainwright, Wednesdays with Wayno, coming up at about eight minutes here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, a lot of, uh, first of all, love on the text line for Gene Hackman, right? People love Gene Hackman. Everyone's chiming in with their favorite Gene Hackman movies. No Way Out, Poseidon Advent, Poseidon's Adventure, Hoosiers. Um, let's the Firm see. was really good. Somebody yeah. texted that in. Superman, Young Frankenstein, Prime Cut. Yep, never in a bad movie. People love him. Also on the text line, anytime that we talk about this NFL slash St. Louis slash Rams lawsuit, there's always a variation of this question, like this one from the 618. Hey, Uncle Randy, would the would an NFL team be a possible settlement in this lawsuit? I think a lot of people wondering if that's even on the table. I don't believe it's on the table as we speak, and I don't believe it'll be on the table. First of all, because of what happened with the Rams and the distrust and the reasons for this lawsuit, there's no appetite on the part of politicians in our area or the corporate leadership in our area to get involved with the NFL, especially because the corporate leadership in our area is very happy with what they're doing with MLS, mm -hmm. and they're also involved with ownership of the Blues. Secondly, we don't have a stadium. They've already told us we don't have a stadium that's sufficient, and they, the league, would have to build said stadium. And 
third, and this isn't the these aren't the only reasons, but I believe this is a big one. That would be a horrible way to start a business relationship is because of a lawsuit. I don't think that a St. Louis team would get any calls on the field. I don't think that they would get any benefit of the doubt from the league, and I don't think the league, under any circumstances, at least as we speak, will want St. Louis to be a partner of theirs. So essentially both sides hate each other and I don't believe a team would be a part of any settlement. And right now I can tell you for a fact that that would not be accepted by the St. Louis side. An, an offer of a settlement with a team being a part of it would not be accepted by the St. Louis side. Interesting, because I, I think there's a lot of fans out there that loved the Rams when they were here, even though they were abysmal for mm-hmm. a 15 and 65 stretch. And the threat of relocation was always looming down the stretch there. But a lot of people love NFL football and are secretly hoping that St. Louis gets to yeah. be an NFL city again. So anytime that we bring up this lawsuit, the text line gets flooded with those yeah. questions. We have a finite amount of corporate money here in St. Louis. And that corporate money right now is being spent on soccer and obviously corporations are invested in the Cardinals and in the Blues. And because of the addition of the soccer team, I just don't think there are enough big corporations in town to support uh, an NFL team to the level that it would want to be or the league would want it to be supported. Yeah, and I'm to your other point that you made, I don't know if the league when this is all said and done, would like to have St. Louis in bed with them. I think that they want to finish this lawsuit and never have to think about St. Louis again. Yeah, Jerry Jones, Stan Kroenke don't want, Commissioner Jones and Stan Kroenke don't want anything to do with the league. No. Or to to do with St. Louis. Michelle, after tonight, the Cardinals come home and take on the San Diego Padres for three. I would argue that these will be the biggest four games of the season for the Cardinals because they're games that directly affect where the Cardinals are in the standings and where the other teams that they're playing are in the standings. Obviously, you want to push the Mets out of it. I was listening to part of the Mets broadcast last night. They thought that that was the game that they had to win. That Their broadcasters thought that after that loss, they were out of it. And then you can pretty much knock the Padres out, too, because the Padres have 10 against the Giants remaining. If you're the Cardinals and take two of three from San Diego over the weekend, I think you do them in as well. Uh- the headline in the New York Daily News for the game today, Mets suffer crushing loss to Cardinals in extra innings. Another huge blow to playoff hopes. Yeah, I don't think that they have any playoff hopes left. And then if you're the Cardinals and Danny Mack was talking about this last night, seven with the Brewers go three and four against the Brewers, seven with the Cubs go five and two against the Cubs and then take your chances. I'm looking at the Padres specifically, too, because that's who the Cardinals are going to be facing here soon. And they've been on such a skid here. So as I pull up the schedule, they've lost one, two, three, four, five in a row. They have so they've been on that road trip they were on. They went 0 and 5. They were outscored 31 to 6 and they're 8 and 21 since August 10th. So you like the Cardinals' chances yeah, versus the Padres. Padres are kind of scuffling. Yes, no a little bit. It. A little yeah. bit of a free fall there. Yeah. And gosh, they invested so much money into that team, I think, heading into this year. A lot of people thought the Padres were a legitimate World Series contender, and here they are. Things happen in baseball. That's how baseball go. We're going to talk to Adam Wainwright about the Cardinals and the near future next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And our friend, the Cardinal right-hander, Adam Wainwright, joins us from New York City this morning. And we always appreciate your time, sir. Good morning. How's it going? 
Doing great, Randy. How are you? Everything's good. Hey, I, I got to ask you, and everybody wants to know, how much fun was it the other night pitching on that mound, pitching in that game? That was fun. It, it's always fun in New York. You know, the fans let you know right away that you're very loved and they missed you and they couldn't wait to see you again. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, we like, you know, returning that love. I, I loved your line, and we were actually talking to Nick Davis. He put together the 1986 uh, 30 for 30, and he he's a huge Mets fan. He loved your line after the game about the Mets fans wanting a little nostalgia from 06. Yeah, yeah that that, that was a uh, that's one of my my rare comedic moments that uh, that I'm proud of. You know, the um, seemed to seemed to hit. hit people right where it hurt you know it seemed seemed to i've just gotten a good reaction from the media here and from fans here and they just kind of look at me now and just drop their head and go uh (laughs) is exactly what i was going for (laughs) yeah it's a love-hate relationship bueno i'm I'm sure so a, a great win for your team last night you wake up this morning you're in possession of that second wild card spot and everybody on your team wants to make the playoffs of course but as i'm watching the game last night and there's shots of the dugout and i'm seeing your team going nuts as you're putting up runs i keep looking at nolan arenado who is so into this so how badly does he want this because this is what he came to st louis for for moments like this and for a chance to get into the postseason and win a world series that's right and that's why that's why all of us are playing but you know if you play as long as nolan has i think he's been in the postseason one time um but you know a player like that with a career like that he just wants to get those big moments so bad. He just wants to be in the thick of things and in the postseason, and, and that's what we all want. And so we're going to try to deliver it for him. And a lot of young guys have never won big games here, and, and uh, they've never – somebody I think I think I was talking to Lars Newtbar the other day, and he was just like – he was talking to Tommy Edmund. He was like, you've been in the NLCS. Wow, that's really cool. And I was just thinking, yeah, the NLCS, that's cute. You know, whatever. So uh, – we we uh we know that we've played good ball lately and that's how that's how we were capable of playing all along we know that we just got to keep it up and not get comfortable now that we we're, we're tracking towards where we're, our goal is but we can't get comfortable we got to keep playing good we're going to play against some really tough teams coming up again and so we got to bring everything we got Hey, Wayno, has the rotation been set up so that you would go either on the last Sunday of the season if you need it or a wild card game if you have it clinched? I know the, the manager and the pitching coach are thinking that far ahead, but are you aware of how your spot in the rotation shapes up? Yeah, I'm going on uh, normal rest the whole year, so um, no off days. No off days for the old guy, and that's fine. That's just how I want it. You know, it's it's nice to feel important and feel like I've, you know, I'll be pitching big games, and and they want me out there. That's something that uh, is very special to me. So my math has you available for that last Sunday or the wild card game. Does your math have shape up that way too? That is correct. Okay, good. And how much would it mean for you to be able to pitch in a wild card game at Dodger Stadium? <laughs> That would be pretty fun, and the whole world would expect us to go over there and get whooped, which is exactly how I like it. Um, so, but we got to get there first. You know, I, I'm not thinking about that just yet. That would be fun, but I've got 
I've got four other starts before that that are three or four, I don't know how many, that are uh, the most important starts of my life. So um, we'll worry about those first, and when we get to the other one, we'll be ready for that. Our friends at, friends at Fangraphs right now have the Cardinals with a 31.9% chance to, to make the playoffs. That's up from the three or four of a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. Yeah, and and uh, amazingly, still below the Reds. The last I looked, yeah, um, it is. Yeah, so uh, that is also how I like it. Um, with expectations, not not our chances, but with expectations being low, um, it, it doesn't. I don't. I don't really know what we need to do or have to do or or why the. They just must not like you know gooey butter cake or something. I don't know what the deal is, but um, we're gonna just show up and. And worry about ourselves and not worry about what those knuckleheads at Fangraphs think about us. And, and we're going to go out there and, and, and play with, you know, an intensity that that uh, September and October deserves. Adam, speaking of that ten- intensity, a moment that we saw on the broadcast last night was Yachty and Daniel Ponce de Leon having a bit of a heated moment in the dugout. And we don't we don't know what the issue was or what was happening there. But as I'm watching this go down, I'm thinking tensions are, are really high. You guys are in a fight for a playoff position and you guys are such heated competitors. And you and Yachty or Molina have been in this since the beginning together. And you've been in those high pressure moments. And I'm just curious if you and Yachty, because Randy and I were talking about it and we can't remember ever seeing a moment like that or being privy to a moment like that. But I'm wondering if you guys have ever had a disagreement like that before. Sure we have. And and uh, I'll tell you this right now. There's there's 26 guys or 28 or however many guys are in there now um, that are, are, like you said, fierce competitors that are, that are given everything they have out there. And, you know, if you have a, a, a disagreement of the same variety in May – it doesn't have the same sway as it does in, in September where you're a little more on edge or a little, you're a little more aggressive in, in your, in your talk and your movements and your, the way you're kind of going about things. And, and, uh, it happens, it happens more than the camera lets you know. Um, you know, that there's doesn't mean we don't love each other. It just, it just means that, that, uh, that you're, that you care and that you, you want it, you know? And so, um, a moment like that, People might be looking. Oh, they're fighting amongst each other, but but really, what it is 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 just two guys that really care and uh, that really really want to get the job done. And and Daniel was disappointed in the way he pitched, and Yachty was disappointed in the way Daniel pitched, and 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 Daniel was disappointed, and and Yachty was disappointed. But Daniel wanted it really bad, and Yachty wanted it really bad, and that happens happens a lot. And uh, you know, we'll hug it out and move on to the next game, and. You know, if it happens again, it happens again, but it doesn't and doesn't. But we're going to try to win, I can tell you that. Adam Wainwright has seen a lot of great plays over the course of his career. Last night, that double play in the 10th inning was a jump-out-of-your-chair moment if you're sitting at home. I'm sure it was a jump-off-the-moment bench for you if you're not already in the front row. That was some double play, wasn't it? That was. And if Goldie doesn't win the, the gold glove this year, I'll be so disappointed because he is uh, he is so good over there he's so heady he just makes those smart plays all the time you know a lot of a lot of uh guys might tag first right there and throw the ball to second got that guy in a rundown or try to tag him at second but then you know the runner on third would have been would have been free to to run home not as a force play anymore and and i don't know there just there was just so much about that play that he did in the moment 
reacting like that, where he knew he was what he was going to do right away if the ball was hit to him, and and that's that's something that that's hard to teach. You know, those are just good baseball instincts, and he has some of the best instincts I've ever seen on a baseball field. He's a great base runner too. That you know, people don't understand a lot of times how how incredibly smart of a baseball player Goldie is. We know he's talented, but even sometimes it catches us off guard. Like, wow, that guy. I think Carpenter was talking to me last night, and he said, you know, I've never seen Goldie make an out on the base pass before. Like, he just – he's very good in-game, in-the-moment decision maker, and that's something that you can't teach sometimes. Adam, we wanted to talk to you about fantasy football for a second. You know, Randy and I are participating in your big league, Impact League. And um, – Matt Holliday joins our afternoon show, The Fast Lane, every week. He's part of their team. And they're in a competition here at the station with our other morning show down the hall at 105.7 The Point, The Rizzuto Show. And the loser of that competition has to get shot in the butt with an airsoft gun. So The Fast Lane was relaying this to Matt Holliday, and they asked him if he had experience with that at all. And he brought your name uh-huh. up. So we wanted to play this for you and get your reaction. Here's what Matt Holliday said about you on The Fast Lane. We were in uh, Florida, and I have this uh, Navy SEAL friend. They were doing one of their deals where they, you know, before they go on a mission, they, they practice missions. They were in Florida and Fort Lauderdale, and we drove down from Jupiter to watch them do this kind of extraction exercise in downtown Fort Lauderdale, and they, they fill the buildings full of, of actors or people that volunteer to be shot by the SEALs with these fake rubber, I, I guess kind of like paintball-type situation. My friend, who's the master commander of one of the SEAL Team 6 Dutch, is like, hey, you want to you wanna shoot this gun? I was like, sure. And, and I was like, can I shoot Adam? And Adam's like, no. And I'm like, come on, just turn around and take it. Just turn around and take one. And he's like, and Dutch, my, my buddy's like, it doesn't hurt that bad. So I shot him right in the butthole, and it left like a bruise at the top of his butthole that kind of split his cheeks. He had that for a while, and he's like, that really does hurt. And I, was, I was about 10 to 15 feet away, so it was, uh, it was one of the thrills of my, my life. So, Adam, now that you know that was one of the thrills of Matt Holiday's life, your response. <laughs> yeah. He was not 10 to 15 feet away either. He's giving himself way too much credit. I would not have let him shoot from that far away. <laughs> it was probably three feet away, and he smacked me right, he did, right in the, in the booty. And uh, that thing left a mark for a month, I'm telling you. And it's it's a rubber bullet, and those it's, it's amazing. Yeah, okay. All right, first, first things first, yes, it stung like the Dickens. It stung like... A hornet got me. Um, uh, secondly, watching those seals do that. So we were up on the top of a building watching that they would land on helicopters. And the, the mission was that they had a, a hostage at the top of the building that they had to go in, take all the bad guys out and extract. Right. And these guys are, are not just standing there letting them shoot. They're trying to, to shoot the seals, too. And. And they have uh, the bullets let you know that there's a I think there's a, like a paint spot on it so that when they get shot, they know they can't you know, you can't just be running around with paint all over you. And they know you're you're once you get shot, you're supposed to go down and stay down, and not, you know, try to become some kind of hero or whatever. Watching them take that down was amazing from the top of the building. But I got real froggy in the beginning of that. And I said, hey, what are the chances that I can go in there and try to take these seals down too?" And then Trevor Rosenthal goes, oh, yeah, I could get him, too. I could get him. 
And so he comes back. He's like, you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they ain't getting me. I'm going to get three or four of them. And, and, and then the commander comes over and goes, hey, man, listen, you would, you would die in there in the first five or ten seconds, no doubt. We would, we would not let you shoot us. But if you want to go in and kind of see how they do it, then follow me. And so they put all these things on us, and me and Trevor got to go into the building and help, not help. We watched them take it down, and they were zigzagging and diving and rolling, and they'd come out of those helicopters and, and roll and smoke go everywhere, and then they'd run in the building, and then they would they would take room by room down, like, systematically with, with like, this incredible process and – and watching them do that was just the most professional thing I've ever seen in my life. And they all, they got through that whole building with everybody shooting bullets all over the place. And they didn't, they didn't get one seal hit and they killed every bad guy and they took the guy out. And, and you can tell those actors, they, they follow these seals around to do this. They were so ticked that they didn't get anybody. It was just so fun. And I'm so glad. And I'm so thankful that we have such amazing people working for us like that around the world that are helping save our hostages around the world because these guys are just studs man but my my to, an, to answer your question yes my butt cheek was sore for a month <laughs> very very well said great story adam it was week one in the big league impact fantasy football league and both of our teams struggled we were victimized by the inefficiency of aaron Rodgers in the first game and we both had about the same amount of points we had 109 you had you had 107 who victimized you Well, originally I had a lineup in there with with totally different people, but I was just looking at it, and I'm like, you know what? I mean, hey, Adams, it's going to have a huge day today, even though I didn't know if Lattimore was going to play or not, but I'm like, you can't cover that guy. And A-Rod is the MVP, and he's he's back to prove he, you know, he's ready to go to a different team or whatever, but he's he's going to be out to prove himself. So I went with, with, with Adams, and he, he didn't do what we thought he was going to do. Um, and then uh, my running backs just, you know, just didn't perform. My, my, you know, they're kind of a, I don't know, I'm not sure anybody really performed, honestly. I mean, I, I had a whole bunch of guys in there that just did all okay. And that is not how you win that thing, man. I, you got you to gotta be on your game. So I think my whole lineup was kind of the victim, or I was the victim of my whole lineup, actually. And, and, and I just picked the wrong dudes, I guess. But it was a weird week. You know, it was a it was a week that um, some teams showed up, and I, I think there was like five underdog teams on the road. One right outright, and, and a bunch of underdog teams won at home, and and it was just uh, it was a week of crazy football. But man, there were some good teams that showed up, and some some prizes that that Saints team looks great. Jameis Winston looked really good, and and uh, the, the, that Arizona team looked really really good. It's going to be fun. Well, Adam, we know who did make all the right picks, and that's Lars Nupar, who we had on the show yesterday. And I uh, just wanted to let you know, he made sure to tell us and tell all of our listeners that he did, in fact, beat you this week in fantasy football. So just want to give you the heads up on that, that he's bragging on our airwaves. Oh, yeah. He beat me in the clubhouse league. I'm sure that's what he's talking about. Yeah. And uh, that one, that's that's kind of like birdie in the first hole, though. You know, I mean, it's all downhill from there. I told him, you birdie the first hole, what do you do the second hole? You usually double, right? So just consider yourself one over after two coming into this next week. You you would think that Adam Wainwright had watched Randy Carricker play golf. <laughs> that's, a, that's a story of my life, Adam. 
Yeah, we try not to think like that, but we just, you know, we're not pros, Grant. We, we know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. Hey, so much great stuff happening with Big League Impact and the Fantasy Football League being underway. Uh, what else is, is going on? I know people can still get the, the gear when they go to bigleagueimpact.org and get the, the Adam Wainwright cap and things like that. We do have a lot of gear in our in our website right now. Good shirts. and I'll tell you, the shirts and sweatshirts are some of the most comfortable things I've ever put on. We've got some really cool hats on there. Um, but we're really proud of the people that we're working with, too. The Food for the Hungry, St. Louis Public Schools, Crisis Aid Women's Shelter, Crisis Aid Outreach Program, Operation Food Search, Love 146, which is an anti-trafficking organization in Houston. They're, those are the organizations we're working with right now. And so all the when you go to our store and buy stuff and when you, when you join in Bigly Impact or donate now, a lot of the, the money you give is going directly to help those great charities. So um, just want to say thanks for the people who joined our fantasy league. Just want to say thanks to the people who donated. Thanks for people who are listening right now or considering uh, joining in with us, but we're doing a lot of really cool things and uh, feeding a lot of people. We're helping a lot of people in school, helping a lot of women who uh, have been just drugged through the mud basically and in, in some really bad places. And, uh, yeah, so we're doing all that through the world of fantasy football and through our cool one light store that has lots of great stuff, and we'd love for everybody to go in there and check it out. And we love what you do for St. Louis and for the world with Big League Impact. Adam, always great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. Enjoy your last day in New York, and we'll see you here in St. Louis this weekend. Okay, thank you, guys. Take care. That is the great Adam Wainwright on 101 ESPN, and Chick-fil-A is proud sponsors of Wednesdays with Wayno on 101 ESPN. Don't forget that on Wednesdays, you can stop by your local Chick-fil-A and enjoy an ice-cold Sunjoy. That's their Arnold Palmer. Chick-fil-A donating a portion of the proceeds of Sunjoy Wednesdays to, to support Big League Impact through this baseball regular season. Thank you to Chick-fil-A for supporting and another opportunity through Chick-fil-A to help a St. Louis charity, Randy. The 2022 Chick-fil-A True Inspiration Awards are happening, and that basically allows a charity to receive a grant between $50,000 and $150,000. And the charity that I support and that we support here on the show, uh, the Little Bit Foundation, is up for that award. So when you're getting your Chick-fil-A today, when you're putting your order, get the app. Just put in your order. You can go right to Chick-fil-A and pick it up. And while you're there, be sure to vote for the Little Bit Foundation for the Chick-fil-A True Inspiration Awards. You have until September 25th to cast your vote, but it would just be a great uh, opportunity for the Little Bit Foundation to get some money from Chick-fil-A. And all we have to do is download the app. It's that easy. There you go. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're going to cross things over with Danny Mac, the Danny Mac Show with BK, coming up at the top of the hour on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Dan McLaughlin is here with us. Had the call last night for the Cards and Mets. Has the call tonight on Bally Sports Midwest. And things are going good. Danny, I had it earlier. Uh, as of August 10th, the Cardinals were 52-52, and 52, and they were eight and a half games out of this wild card spot. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, last night, to me, was the game of the year. There was just so many things that happened in that game, whether it was the O'Neill home run, uh, obviously coming back. But to me, the play of the game was the Goldschmidt uh, starting the double play. And, uh, you know, they always say, 
you got to think through the, the the play before it's hit. What am I going to do with, when the ball is hit to me? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? If it's hit to my right, if if I have that opportunity, am I going to go try to turn two? If it's hit right at me, am I stepping on the bag? Um, because, you know, you think through that play, there's so many things that you could be doing where the runner could get in a rundown, allow the guy from third to try to score. But in that particular case, I mean, he, no hesitation with the circumstances, game on the line, and such an important game. For both teams, it was just a. It's one of the best plays I've seen. Smart too. I mean, just everything about it was smart. Think about. I think Mike Schultz had a post game. The amount of gold gloves involved in that play, yeah. just the the baseball acumen, the awareness between Goldie, Yachty, and Arenado, it was unbelievable. I think Goldie. Uh, this is the. He's been really good defensively. I think this has been his best year in St. Louis, defensively. I agree with that. Um, I don't know if it's offensively too. The, take away the first what maybe 30 40 days yeah but he's been awesome since then and uh this is the player that you thought you're going to get and now when you have those corner guys and it, it goes back to our conversation yesterday if you can find people that throw strikes you've got a good chance to win because mm-hmm. the defense is elite now the cardinals in the middle of that game what happened they started walking people Game got lengthened. One of the walks comes around to score that Ponce de Leon walks three in a row. You just can't have that. And they they now you get to the back end of the game. And Alex Reyes, by the way, maybe this is a defining moment in his season where he two nights ago strikes out the side and last night gets out of that jam. Um, so it's just every day is a new story and a new wrinkle into the season. And it's it's been fun. These final two weeks will be great. And we just talked to Adam and his the way his schedule works is that he'll either pitch the last Sunday of the season if they need it or the wild card game if they don't need that Sunday game. And I asked Michelle earlier, would you rather face the Dodgers having to beat them once and then play the Giants or would you rather play the Giants and then play the Dodgers three out of five? Ooh. I don't think I want to face the Dodgers three out of five. I don't either. Get, let me play them once and take my chances. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said, too. Even though it's likely Scherzer in that situation, I still would like to take my chances with the Dodgers once. And then uh, the Cardinals have had success this season versus the Giants. They they just split with the Dodgers, but I don't want to see them that many times. The Dodgers are absolutely loaded. I I think, too, that over the five games, you know, so you could have Scherzer could have a bad game. But then they got to go, then you face Urias, or then you face Walker Bueller. Mm -hmm. You know, just the one game puts just such a a premium on, you know, anything can happen. Right. And I think over five games, though, uh, if I'm the Dodgers, I'll take my chances with the guys that they got over a five-game period as opposed to being shut down one game offensively or a pitcher not having it. Right. So I think that's how I'd I'd rather face the Dodgers in a one-gamer. I can't believe I'm saying that. And then the Giants <laughs> no. maybe in the in the five. And the Cardinals are four and two against the Giants. And Gossman has come back a little bit, but their starting pitching is more vulnerable, I, I believe, agree. than the Dodgers. And I don't think their lineup is as good. And by the way, I didn't even mention Kershaw. That's right. Oh, <laughs> He's yeah. back now too. Really good. Yeah, he maybe he'll pitch. Yeah. I mean it, yeah. it, it Unreal. It is. Um I just find what's going on though with the Cardinals just uh, you know, it's just been a crazy season, man. Holy smokes. About, it's fun. I mean, yeah. this is why the second wild card is this. We're in the middle of it. Yep. If, you, if you look at the teams on both in the American League and the National League for the second wild card, if you didn't have this, those oh, fan man, bases yeah. would be out. They'd be checked out. Yeah, Dodgers are in, and nobody yep. else is even close. Period. They're right by, I think fourteen or something right. like that. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's been good for baseball. And 
the Cardinals in September are just fun. Whether it was two years ago, the year they went to the NLCS and made the run in September, or whether it was 2011, 2006, the first, well, September wasn't that great, but they made it happen in October. But we've had a lot of fun Septembers here. We have, and uh, kind of unheralded, but now starting to get some attention, and I- I'm one of those people. I'm guilty of it. I mean, they picked up Happ and Lester, and I was like, okay. You know, you're going to cover some innings and get through the season. That was but, what I said. And protect you know, your other guys. Yeah, you know, you just you were trying to find some strike throwers, and maybe they were too. And and but they also made the move though with the idea that if you can get around maybe a Yachty or a like Lester has talked about that, that maybe we can catch lightning in a bottle. And they have every team does analytics, obviously, mm-hmm. but they do. So what we read on like fan graphs or whatever is not necessarily it, there's. A correlation with the two, and they're probably close, but not necessarily as deep as the dive that the Cardinals take, mm-hmm. or the Twins, or the Cubs. It's a different look at how they look at players, or maybe they found something with these guys. I think they they may have, but I don't know if they planned on that because remember, Michelle, we had Mo on the Monday oh, I, after I, he made I the agree. trade. I mean, it's lightning yeah. in a bottle right now. Yeah, yeah. but he, his thing was, we got these guys to give us five innings so that we can protect Oviedo and Woodford and keep them in the minors and keep them from losing a bunch of games here. I don't know that the Cardinals expected to win as much with those guys and then the other thing we asked in that interview was what's the best case scenario for this team he said it's playing a one game playoff against the Dodgers sure and see what you got and and the other thing was uh, out of the two I'm I'm more intrigued now and I don't know if I would have said this two weeks ago about John Lester me too and the way that he's throwing I mean this is he's this is now four starts in a row where he's been really good so maybe he's found something. He is pitching differently here and uh, is giving you a chance to win these games. And he's one of those guys. If you're the other team, you don't want to see him. And if you have him, you want John Lester in a playoff game. Absolutely. And a rusty nail. I like I yeah. like rusty nails. Yeah. I like bringing those guys Me in. Me too. Man. I like some guys with a little sandpaper. Yeah. yeah. What Absolutely. do we have on the show coming up? Uh, Terry Collins. Oh, TC. Good. Yeah. Former Mets manager will be our guest. Good. It is happy birthday, Emily. Yeah, it's Thank Emily's you. birthday. Happy birthday! Thanks for all of your hard work, and uh, thanks for being on the board today. Absolutely. Thank you. It's our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. It's her birthday, Michelle. Uh, you have a busy day on tap, don't you? I do, but don't we always? You're all dressed yeah. up. What do you got? I have a meeting after this, so no sweatpants allowed today. What's the meeting about? I'll tell you off the air. All right. Don't okay. want to reveal it, but happy birthday, Emily. I hope you have a great rest of your fun. day. Thanks. And I'm on my way to meet uh, Desiree Reed. Francois. Francois, the new athletic director at the University of Missouri. Really? Where at? Uh, we're going to have a National Football Foundation event at uh, at the uh, Lombardo's location by the airport. So if you're free at 11, 30, 12 o'clock, come on by and say hi. Charlie Army uh, took me there. Chuck, he was, Charlie Army's one of the best guys ever. He loved baseball. Loved, he knew that, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so uh, we got hooked up and he said, um, you want to go to lunch? Out of the blue. I said, yeah. And he goes, you want to come in and see the, the war room? I said, yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. He showed me the whole thing, how they do it. He was great. Here's how transparent that organization was under Dick Vermeil. When I was working for Charter, and I did a Rams draft day feature, and Charlie took me into the war room and let me yeah, you see let, let us tape everything. That's amazing. It was mm-hmm. phenomenal. And here's the, one quick Charlie Army story. He was awesome. So back in the day, Sporting News printed, and he would uh, try to take me aside. I'd have my my sporting news draft preview with me and after they would make a pick in the first round he'd open it up and just point to a name 
Is that what he do? Yeah. And like the year the Rams had three first round uh-huh. draft choices, so they take Damian Lewis in the first. They had already told me they were doing that. And then they get to, uh, after that pick, he points to Adam Archuleta, and then they take that pick, and he, he gets me up to the table. He says, and points to Ryan Pickett. He says, that'll be our next guy. That was it. <laughs> he was the best. Yeah. So I was I, able to go on at the time. I guess it was at the Big 550 saying, here's who they're looking at next. So I, it was was like, nice. I was like Woj. I was just going to say, you were Woj bombing yeah. before Woj bombs existed. Yeah, it was great. Character bombs. Yep. All right. Uh, for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hey, hon. What you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.